Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. And this episode of the Four Center podcast feed is The Mandalorian Report. I am Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Epsock, and we are here to dive in deep. This is a discussion, more than a review, of Mandalorian Season 2 Opener, Chapter 9, The Marshal. Joseph, we got 55 minutes to dive into this. Oh, that's right, oh. yeah. Yeah, Chapter <laughs> 9, The Marshal, so great. 
Yes, our, not our show, 55 Minutes. We got as much time as we need. Oh. Uh, but we, we, we got a longer episode. Yeah, we'll be at least 56 minutes, I'm going to guess, just knowing us. Yeah, but 55 minutes, yeah, it's, it, it is, uh, that's a, a great thing, a different thing right from the get-go, that it is a longer episode uh, than most of the episodes from uh, season one. So uh, already uh, we got more Mandalorian, even within the more Mandalorian that we have right now. So that's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah, so chapter nine. Continuing the chapters uh, from the first season, really suggesting that this is all one connected story. Uh, the title is The Marshal. We'll talk about that. Written and directed by John Favreau. Let's dive into it, Ken. What was your overall reaction? Did you love it? Like it? Struggle with it? Love it with an asterisk? Where are you at? I love it with it. Love it with a asterisk is fair, but love. But I want everyone to highlight on the word love. I'm using the word love. Not even like. Not even really like. Love. But there's some asterisks. Uh, but the first thing I'm going to start, you touched upon it here, a, a, a chapter nine. I, I I think that's small, subtle, and huge all at the same time. That's great that we're going to get this continued, continued no no season two, zero, zero, one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> chapter nine. And uh, I, I, I like that, uh, what that establishes right up top. Yeah, absolutely. It establishes not only, I mean, they they did that in the beginning by having them, you know, labeled as chapters. It's not just a production code that nerds happen to know uh, because they've been reading the IMDb credits, you know, that that's a choice to, to, again, connect Star Wars storytelling to lots of different pulp genre storytelling traditions, like having mm -hmm. the opening crawl of like, this is this serialized adventure. This is all one big story. And this is just the chapter of this epic novel that you're watching right now mm. yeah i uh, and 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 that and that, that's really effective for me and and uh, and then again overall so we'll start uh, you you asked me a question i didn't really answer joseph uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of saturday matinee fun is the way i'm describing this uh to talk to say it plays on western theme western themes is to undercut the word played it is a western <laughs> and as a fan of westerns both in, and yes i count young guns and tombstone as westerns friends uh, but uh, as, as a fan of the Western genre as I am, but also I will say a fan of reading about the, the West, the real West, which is, includes some harsh truths um, and some brutal truths uh, that you have to face when you're reading and studying it and also just being aware of like I, I am there for all of that. So this episode played upon a lot of that for me and uh, uh, we'll get into some more stuff. But I, I love I literally did a Nelson Muntz <laughs> that most of the trailers we've seen so far came from this episode outside of couple months yeah i was really really happy that a ton of it came from this episode and even a, a couple of the lines that we were debating whether or not they were trailer chicanery of like he's not actually saying that to those people they were from this episode too so we've yeah. almost cleared the trailers not quite i know we've got water planet we've got a uh, cloak mystery yeah. person we've got ice planet we got a lot to come but yeah stuff where we could start to put the beats together and know what is going to happen in that scene like, this was the only sort of stuff from the trailers that was narrative. Like, okay, we know everything about... They land on the graffiti planet. They go under the fighting pit. They He kills everybody. Like, this was the only thing that was narrative in the trailers, I think. Yeah, which is great. It's great. So it's like, it's like they're like, give them that. That's, they're going to see that anyways in the first minute. Give them that for the trailers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't lose too much. Yeah. Uh, man, for myself, for my overall reaction is just thrilled. Like, uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts that I will share that are, you know, thematic and and put on my thinking cap and put on my uh, entertainment uh, analyst cap. 
But I was so thrilled, like a little kid, Ken. Like I couldn't wait to play with my action figures. Uh, is, is people who listen to Force Center know this is going to be a full spoilers. So if you haven't watched the episode, please pause us. But when Boba Fett pops up at the end, I yelled yes so loud, and I had to. <laughs> I had to go into uh, the bedroom and say, did, I'm sorry, did I wake you to my wife? Because I was so thrilled. And it, it wasn't just the Boba Fett, which we will, of course, talk about uh, uh, Boba Fett. I mm-hmm. think uh, that it was, uh, it just was hitting all of my sweet spots as a Star Wars fan, I think. As you were saying, the big uh, Saturday morning serial adventure, um, I think it had this, uh, the whole episode had, a combination of like depth of ideas that you can dive into, but it had action, it had fun, it had exotic adventures on an alien world. It was just sort of the promise of Star Wars to me in a couple ways. Um, I think it is this episode in particular, since it was literally physically bigger and you know, more effects for the crate dragon and all that, it was big scale. Big yeah. stakes. Uh, the characters we were watching were going to live or die. So it was big scale, big stakes, but for small adventure. This was not about the galaxy. This wasn't even about Mando finding the information he needed. It was just life or death for these characters we met right now. So it was that promise of the Star Wars spinoff of it's not galactic fates all the time. It's not the secret history of one of the main characters of Star Wars like Solo turned out to be. It's just a small adventure where it matters a lot to the people that we're following. So I, I really love that. And I think it also really uh, uh, touched me because we talk on, on the Force Center podcast a lot about the tip of the iceberg storytelling style of Star Wars, really particularly in the original trilogy, starting off in that first movie of, you know, the, we mentioned the Clone Wars, but we don't know what that is. We, we talk about the Jedi, but we don't fully see or know what the Jedi are. We meet little bits of culture. We Jawas, Tusken Raiders. How does, how does that all work? And I feel like, I truly saw on the screen a little bit more of that iceberg <laughs> that I've been, you know, wondering about and fantasizing about and playing action figures about uh, since I was a little kid. Saw that on the screen uh, in a big way. And then also combining that with nerdery from different uh, eras of my life, I, I felt like this was one of those episodes where the cool stuff uh, that you see from a different perspective that was was pulled both from the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy like really seamlessly uh it, that that was like a great thrill to me to see like oh yeah here's uh here's all this familiar stuff in in a new context the uh, tuscan raiders the crit dragon the uh, banthas but also massives uh pod race engine speeder and to be able to kind of be thrilled as thrilled to see stuff from the original trilogy as the prequel trilogy Mm. And to see it all kind of seamlessly come together was just uh, uh, great. So there's a ton of this that I really loved. Um, and I also felt like the directing was just so solid. There was so much confidence. And uh, you and I were talking before we started recording. So we might even disagree on this. Shocking. Something to disagree about <laughs> on Force Center. It's so rare. We got to treasure it. Uh, but I thought the whole episode was really elevated by Timothy Oliphant's acting. Um, everybody... Uh, it has the acting has been really fascinating throughout uh, Mandalorian in the first season because there's been some stunt casting, there's been some strong opinions about who is a, a match for the style of Star Wars, who is a good actor, who isn't. I think everybody's on board with really enjoying Pedro Pascal's work, uh, but so much of this was kind of a two-hander with uh, 
with Pedro Pascal and Timothy Oliphant. And I thought he just knocked it out of the park and it elevated the episode for me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we disagree on him, <laughs> but, uh, but this is, uh, he's one of my favorite actors. Uh, that I can't stress that enough. Deadwood's one of my favorite things. Uh, and to have him and W. Earl Brown as the weak way proprietor. In, <laughs> uh, we are entirely in Deadwood now. Um, but, and Scream, because uh, they're both in Scream. Uh, are they both in Scream? Uh, yeah. One's in yeah. Scream 1, the other's in Scream 2. But they're both screaming. No. They're both screaming indeed. And Kurt W. Earl Brown, uh, everyone remembers from, from There's Something About Mary. There you go. <laughs> There's something the about the weak proprietor <laughs> yeah uh yeah no but 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 uh we're gonna talk about it i don't know what, when we want to dive into it. i i have just as i had in season one i don't vibe with a lot of the acting and the acting choices and some of the directing but i halfway through this episode kind of was like but you know what i think it all works and i've got to stop looking at it through some lens that i don't fully understand and that this is, I don't think this is a live action Star Wars show. I think this is a live action animated show, if that makes sense. That little tweak in my brain was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I get what, and I, I, I discovered that during the opening of this, um, the opening of this episode, Joseph, because we'd seen it in the trailer. Um, there's some fun, wonky stuff. The Gamorrean Guard doing a straight up pro wrestling spot dive <laughs> over the ring into a table spot. I think it's a bench. It's literally a pro wrestling spot. And I was like, we're in, this is Dick Tracy at 89's Dick Tracy, which is a movie I actually like, um, big boy did it. Big boy did it. And that, so, so maybe live action comic book come to life is maybe the way I should phrase it versus live action animated show. And so a lot of the things I don't like started to wash away. So nothing I I'm saying holds up my enjoyment of this episode. In fact, I quite enjoyed this episode. And one of the reasons I enjoyed this episode is everything you described up top. I had a fear that uh, we were going to, and maybe I didn't express it even much on previous shows. I had a fear that we were going to suddenly be in the, you're going to get answers around every corner is a clue, uh, all that kind of stuff. And John Favreau and the team are like, no, we have set a vibe. It is a chapter. It is a small, slow roasting story, but this one is a big, bigger scope. Literally the aspect ratio is, uh, now a social media trend <laughs> later in the episode. And all that works for me. All that works for me. So we, we can, we can, and, and Cobb Vanth is a, is a great character. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't fully disagree with you and I can't wait to hear your explanation of what you, 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 you are being pulled into by him. Uh, and I'm sure on subsequent rewatches, I won't, have I won't be in my car driving around doing an angry YouTube video. About <laughs> well, I know. Yeah, let's just dive into it now because why not? We're talking about our big overall reaction, and I think this is one of your big overall uh, reactions. And you know what? We'll just save time for ourselves later in the podcast <laughs> if we talk about it now. Can I? Can I uh, ask you a probing question? Probe away. So your comparison to Dick Tracy, you're feeling like the Good Morning Guards are almost doing a pro wrestling joke that pulls it a little bit into the real world versus Star Wars. I sense that you feel like this episode in the acting doesn't have the gravitas that you are wanting in that it is leaning more towards the uh, fun or goofy or the comic book and you feel like Oliphant's acting is a part of that. Yes, and all of it. Pelly as well. Um... Uh, and I have, I tell you what, I, I'll start up to this. I have, I actually do have a huge problem with the extras. I think there's some 
extras are not great actors by trade. They're usually uh, community superstars who go to Hollywood to get SAG vouchers. God bless them. Um, I don't like, I just think, uh, and in this entire show, there's been a ton of just real bad extra acting and that drives, takes me out of it. That doesn't fact, doesn't take me out of this episode, Justin, but it's like, like I, I, I can't help but notice it. Um, there's but, one Tuscan Raider celebrating the, the Pearl, which by the way, I loved and we'll talk about, uh, there's one Tuscan Raider celebrating the Pearl. who was just like, I know it isn't my friend from Minneapolis, but he is dancing exactly like my friend from Minneapolis does, uh, when he's yeah. sitting on his couch and he wins a video game and I loved it. <laughs> and and by, by, Yeah. By the way, uh, prequels, I had, this is a problem in the prequels, uh, some of the pod racing extras and all the, this, and, and believe me, this is a problem. A lot of productions have, I've, I, I, this isn't, just related but because of that anyways i don't want to get too far down that route i guess um no i think you're right um i think sometimes this is what i'm talking about my lens i do i want cassie and andor and kenobi to be as if it's an hbo show and every casted part is an important thing that tells the giant story not that it doesn't do it here but I just think there's a little bit of, yeah, yeah, that was great. Let's do it. And next shot. And it drives me a little crazy. And, 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 and it, the gravitas, which is a funny word in the podcasting realm where everyone loves some gravitas. It, I think you're touching into a little bit of what it is. And Oliphant's there for Oliphant's, Oliphant's a spectacular actor. I don't want anyone to think I'm criticizing. I, it, it, you, people, you got it. I'd love Deadwood. And this is Star Wars Deadwood. This is what it is. So I'm happy. Um, I just think there's, there was one moment where he's like, no, you be safe. And I was like, I, I, da, 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 no, don't, don't want that. Don't want that. And that's the kind of stuff that started pulling me a little bit to the uh, angry car. Um, yeah. I'm not in it, but I'm not, I want to, I want to stress. I'm not in that. I'm not in an angry car. Right <laughs> I, but you are, you can drive around in your car and question. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. No, nobody is, uh, you're being very clear that you are not ranting and saying a, a thumbs down on, on yes. this episode, I, everything. Yeah, I'm in my car. I just didn't turn on the camera, Joseph. <laughs> yeah, um, I think this is really interesting. I, I, I definitely there's definitely been some acting choices. I just rewatched uh, the first season, and I do think there's some uneven things. And it's not even about skill level to me. It's just sometimes that that tone of not getting all the actors on the exact same page of the the tone. Um, and I, I think there are sometimes extras. I, I actually thought the townsfolk were great. Uh, for the most part in this episode. So nobody took me out uh, there. Uh, the, the one Tuscan Raider dancing, I only found because I studied because I knew that there'd be at least one. <laughs> I did see that. So now I'm going to go back and watch that. <laughs> it's one who doesn't have a gaffy stick and it's maybe he's like a little lower level in the, in the status and <laughs> maybe because he's not the best dancer among the, uh, the best celebrator among the Tuscans. No, I think maybe um, my lens might be coming uh, from my own life experiences too, where I like the blend of comedy and, uh, and reality. Um, mm -hmm. And I do not perceive in any way for myself that Timothy Oliphant was approaching this or directed to approach this as, hey, it's silly. It's Star Wars, you're you're being like a silly marshal in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. uh, I have experienced that myself, uh, you know, writing comedies where like, yeah, I want the jokes to land, but in a funny, absurd thing is going to happen, but it's coming from who this person is. And I've had actors who get that and I love working with them because they make it real. And then it's funny uh, when like an absurd thing happens because it happened because of who that character is versus, oh, this is a comedy, right? So would you like me to talk like this? Like, no, <laughs> I want you to be silly on the surface. And what I felt is 
Cobb Vanth in the book you could definitely read is Western Marshall, guy who's been through everything, has a blaster and is going to do what needs to be done. Like straight up actual kind of Clint Eastwood vibe. I felt like the character that we were presented with had this different angle of he's a Tatooine kid. He's, you know, we, we learned that he hasn't grown up anywhere and he's not this dyed in the wool tough guy. He's a dreamer like Luke who didn't get off the planet. Maybe didn't have that same dream to get off the planet. But I feel like this is a character who is playing Marshall because that's his life experience of he ran like a coward. He found that armor and thought, wait a minute, maybe I can, maybe I can be that guy that I've seen, that guy that I've heard of. I can, I can be the Marshall. And I think he's, I think he's trying to be the Marshall. And I think that's part of what this episode is about is he knows that he's not a real Mandalorian. He talks the talk. He's not great at backing it up until Mando kind of shows him how. And I feel like everything that he was doing was coming from that. I didn't feel like it was any wink nod. I'm above the material and I'm winking at you that, yep, it's me, the guy who always plays a sheriff. So I'll say sheriff things. I felt like it was this, this guy who used to be a coward who was trying to be the tough guy for the good of the community. Yeah. Look, I I think that's absolutely one of the present uh, themes is, is the armor, what it does to you, what it means to you and, and what it represents so yeah, I think I think you're 100% right on what was presented. And again, that might be because I think after 5 years of doing this, you might have enough scars to to be it. Um and I I think some of those little moments um it look I'll, I'll got to tell you what I got to tell you that, uh one of our listeners Alex Marriott in Discord pointing this out. The fact that he looked like Eddie Van Halen in 2015, rest in peace Eddie was also, I wanted a different barber, but that's, a, I also want that. I wish I had that hair. Um, that, so I, yeah, maybe I just wanted him dirty. And again, this, this is on me, but this is what I'm reading Cobb Vanth as or what I want Cobb Vanth to be. Uh, so I don't think that what you're presenting is an incorrect uh, choice by them. You know what I mean? Like that's the episode. It's very much the episode. So I'm not, I can't deny that. I can't deny that. I'll have to watch it again. I'm going to watch, I mean, I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I just I I thought that he handled the comedy from this great place of honesty, and he had a bunch of lines that are they're in my list of uh, you know favorite um, moments from this uh, episode. And I felt like all of the emotions that were really real to him, like uh, the uh, resentment towards the Tuscan Raiders and the the kind of the comedy of this contrast between hey. I got this armor now and I got a blaster and I can, I can shoot people who come at me. Great. Uh, the dragon's that big. I know what, huh? Like right. that felt honest to me. And that's why it was really funny to me. Oh, I think some of the best moments he had are him uh, arguing with the Tusken Raiders for sure. The campsite scene is really good uh, and important. It, it's actually one of the things I want to talk about later on uh, about that versus, um, or connecting with the real West. Uh, so yeah, I, I love that a lot. Yeah, no, I I think that that, that those moments work for me a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I agree uh, uh, about the haircut. That was one of the things that I was just uh, sort of tickled by. Of like, uh, especially you know, uh, where not everybody in our real world is being able to go to the barber right now. Like, why do I look like a much more of a mess? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, <laughs> and Cobb Van. It was a great reference from from Alex Marriott in our Discord because it totally 
does look like that. And it's again, it's not a bad thing. Um, I, I, I don't, I, he had the, the beard I want. He had the, you know, it, he definitely, definitely fit the part, but yeah, and look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I, cause I, I, this is not the first time I brought up the acting on this show and it was present, present all through eight chapters last year. Um, here to me, some of the best acting I've seen in the series. It sounds like I'm being snarky and I'm, I'm making a joke. I'm not. Uh, was Tamara Morrison. He is a prequel veteran who knows how to. George just wants us to play silly, not silly, but like George wants us to have a pulpy vibe. But I'm in the world and I'm I'm here and I'm in Star Wars. I'm not saying that to counter Timothy Oliphant. I'm just saying overall for now nine chapters. I'm not joking. That was one of my favorite moments in in the show. Oh, uh, Bo- really, Boba Fett turning away there? Tone, I'm tell, yeah, it sounds like I'm being snarky and, well, I'll counter it. I'm not. I'm saying he turns away, and I was like, that guy's in it. I, I immediately, there is five years of Boba Fett's life. I don't know, and it's all in his face. And I loved, I loved that moment. So there you go. I want to I I throw a lot of credit to, to something uh, if I've spent uh, too long tearing it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, uh, you're not going to get any argument from me that even one frame of Tamora Morrison uh, is just alive with good acting and uh, with with gravitas. I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with gravitas, and and I I do uh, think that when those moments were required in this episode, uh, Timothy Oliphant knocked him out of the park for me. But I am fascinated by hearing your lens and happy to uh, keep discussing it as we go along, not only in this episode, but all the other chapters of the season and see what acting yeah. adventures and opinions await us. Cause yeah, but, I think it's going to be a wild ride. But again, but again, during the, it was more when Gore was running. Um, um, you know what I mean? Like running away and it's kind of silly, uh, but in a fun, like he's like, and it's, you know, like was on his voice and I'm, and I was like, God, it's like Dick Tracy. And I was like, Oh wait, aha for little Kenny Knapsack in the summer of 1989 and Dick Tracy in the theater. This is what I, okay, got it. So to be clear, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm like, I, I like what they're putting down. I just yeah. had to get there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we talk about it a lot. I think uh, comedy is a part of Star Wars, uh, flowing from Lucas's sense of humor, flowing from Chewie growling at a mouse droid, and then it turns around and Chewie kind of laughs at it. Uh, the There is definitely some great acerbic biting wit in Star Wars, but a lot of Star Wars comedy has always been a little bit on the the wackier, let's have fun side. And I think yeah. that's always going to be a question of any Star Wars is, you know, that wacky dial can be set at seven and you can be like, cool. And it goes up to seven and a half and you're like, nope, <laughs> is, is individuals. I think that's a legitimate thing to discuss in Star Wars. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So mark it down here. Scribshaw and Apsock finally kind of diverge on something, but we're also at the same table drinking and having fun. The Great Oliphant Wars, it will be referred to. Uh, let's dive into, I think, things that we're probably going to agree on. Uh, big themes, big ideas at stake in this episode. Uh, so for you, what were the big ideas that jumped out? Well, armor and what it means. I literally wrote this down. That sounds super critical. No, I, I, um, Cobb having to give it up. Uh, was really interesting and feeling like he could, which, which again feeds right into your point. I mean, you, you're 100 on it there, and uh, no doubt that you that you would ever not be on it of the, of the <laughs> theme. But no, I mean, I mean that sincerely. Um, it's there, and and it it was, I was, you know, here I love Cobb Vance. We get it. We can get into a little bit of the backstory story change later. I'm not hung up on that at all. Uh, but like this starts with uh, Amanda just going, "Cool, give me that." And they're about to draw down for it. I was like, "Oh, we're just going, going right to what that armor means." And so I, I love that that that's 
that's a theme. We know what it means for man, the Mando um, and everything that you're saying about Cobb Vanth and, and what he needs it for. For so Cobb Vanth at the end, kind of becoming a real marshal is very present, very present there for me. So that, that was one of the themes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really liked that. There was a lot in this episode that, that just sort of a refreshed and I think uh, pushed forward a little bit. The idea of what a Mandalorian is that reminder that, uh, everybody wants the best scar because it's rare was one of the best things, uh, ideas from that, uh, early fighting ring scene. And then I just, I loved in the flashback that it felt like when Cobb Vance saw that armor and when he came back and, you know, those mining guild guys weren't that tough like they didn't even seem to have that many blasters and the armor was practical it was protective but it was much more about the idea behind the armor it was much more about the fear of the power of the armor it was about the mystique of the armor so i thought this episode i'm so glad you brought it up because i think that's that armor and what it means and we we spent so much time with the mandalorian with the armor knowing this is our identity. We've we've got as Mandalorians, we've got a bunch of opinions about what this armor means, and it it might even mean specific things to specific Mandalorians as well as our overall creed. Yeah. And, and Cobb Vanth and, and the rest of the town are just just kind of dipping their toe in, like, oh, here's the power of this. It it yeah. inspires fear and respect. Because I tell you what, I don't think anyone in that mining uh, in the in the mining guild or the, we know what in the books or Red Raiders, whatever they are, does, doesn't matter. I don't think anyone's like Boba Fett. I think they're like, what is this? You know, and 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 that I love that it's not necessarily, and who knows, maybe it is, and if we'll find out next episode or next time we see him, like, we thought you were Boba Fett. Boba Fett. I, I don't think that's the case, which proves, which is one of the things I love that the Mandalorian does. It doesn't, it's not a lore checklist. So no one was like, oh God, this guy's Boba Fett. It was like, this guy's a Mandalorian or who's, who that? Or- and just aesthetically, yeah. there's a power radiating off this that that's, yeah. uh, you know, just that that deep gutter. Like we can't see that guy's face and he looks like he's going to kill us. Everything about the armor says he can and he will. It's yeah. scary. Yeah. Tr- trust me. Trust me. Styles of uniforms are tremendously important and sometimes detrimental to your actual intentions. Um, and that's been a long held debate in, 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 in other other areas of my life. Um Oh, like working as a security guard, how much do, how much does your uniform say, hey, I'm here to help you if you got a problem versus fear me? But also, local, my, my uncle, uh, 55 years LAPD, hated uh, what's called soft uniforms uh, uh, or, or uniforms that can be construed as paramilitary. Hated them. Hated them. Um, wanted more what's called class A's. They wanted more, uh, you know, he, he for years fought against it and, and kind of see some problems emerging of that. But I, I felt with it too. If I, if I, some of the most comfortable pants I own are, are, are BDU pants, battle dress uniform pants, the ones with the pockets, but they, they put a certain image out and you walk into a room and it's like, whoa, in good ways and bad ways. Right. And so I think, I think this scene, I'm actually, you know, not, not lying. That scene's, I think it's important when he walks in because Timothy Oliphant is, is he's a, he's a thinner belt belt guy. And I, I've already seen some, joke tweets or something about how he looked in the armor. And I think, but I think that's the point you put it on. Um, and you know, he's just, he, again, he's just, he's got a thin frame. I wish to God I had that. Um, I, I, you know, and I think it's important. I think you walk in and people are like, Oh, Oh, not Boba Fett, but Oh, and, and that, that's a power that, that he's going to fill in that outfit. 
And that's why the lesson of him to give it up is important. And the flip side, I got to ask you too, just like down the line, this could also be something that the Mandel learns in reverse. I don't necessarily think so, but as someone who, when he took off the, the reaction that was uh, from Mando, when, uh, um, uh, Timothy Oliphant, when, when Cobb Man takes off the helmet, there's a, huh? <laughs> I was, yeah, I was so excited for that. Cause like, as soon as he orders the what, two snorts of Spotchka, you know that this is a guy who takes his helmet off, right? Because <laughs> what else is he going to do? You know, I just love that there were, there is, a, if you go back and watch it, there's kind of like a, uh, but now, you just took it, you just took that right off. Yeah. I and it. I think, yeah, that's great from Mando's perspective of like, uh, this doesn't, this guy doesn't look like a full Mandalorian. Something's going on here. What? Okay. No, give me the armor. <laughs> yeah. Give me the armor, kid. Yeah. Thin yeah, framed so. man with nice hair. Give me that armor. It belongs to me. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a ton of great stuff with the with the armor. And, yeah, I think it's an interesting idea that will Mando ever get to the place where he's like, I know my armor inspires fear mm-hmm. and I don't want to do that. I, I mean, I think there is so much of that of like, uh, again, my analysis of the first season being the armor to him is salvation. He knows other people see fear, but yeah. he but when he looked up as a kid and he saw that battle droid, that was terror. And then when he saw that Mandalorian who rescued him, that was mm-hmm. salvation. And he doesn't, he, you know, he didn't want the child to look up and see, you know, death. He wanted him to see salvation. So I think he's got a lot of mixed feelings about that armor. And yeah. I really like that this episode kind of goes with the armor, but it, more just what it means to be a Mandalorian, what it means to be the Mandalorian. I like that this first chapter of this new season really reset the stakes of who Mando is um, in that it was basically like, hey, from that little opening scene, Mando comes to town. If you treat him with dishonor, he'll kill everyone there and he won't feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. But if you treat him with honor, he will make a thousand new best friends. <laughs> like, uh, yep. You know, the, the way you're, they're following up with Pelimoto, we saw him make friends with Cara Dune. We saw him make friends with uh, uh, Grief Karga. You know, we mm-hmm. saw him make friends uh, with Quill. Now we see him make friends with Cobb Vanth. You know, we, we've seen that he made the uh, the bond with the Tuscans. But by the end of this episode, this episode starts with, you have no honor. You, you've, you've taken the Mandalorian's armor with no right. I'm, I'm going to kill you for it right now if you resist me to shaking hands and hoping our paths cross again. And it just puts his, his character in stark contrast of it's not like he's on this killing is good or bad access. It's honor is good or bad. And if you treat me with dishonor, you're dead. And if you treat me with honor, I will be your best friend. Mm-hmm. That's well, uh, well said. The, the opening scene, um, he's brutal. He's brutal. And and it, it's almost Jedi-like, right, Joseph? It's almost Jedi-like. Yes. Yeah. Uh, knowledge and defense. <laughs> he's almost saying that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, and what he, him, the, the, the two versions, him and that fighting pit area and him with the Tuscan Raiders, not even the main one, but the first one where he's just at a camp talking to five of them. That's the same person. And the difference is kind of how you react to him. Like you said, I, I that's a great point. And yeah, well, 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 he, uh, well addressed in this episode. Yeah. He knows the Tuscans uh, can be violent, but they treat him with honor and he treats them with honor back. And you know, uh, the uh, Gore Koresh, not an honorable <laughs> abyssin at no. all. Oh, and, and the final note, because I know we got some other themes here. Welcome to the seven-hour episode of Mando Report. I, I did put this quote down that Cobb Vance said, and I think it ties into what you and I are talking about here. Um, you know, see, he sees Mando's armor or knows who he is and has a certain view of him, but then says, I see the little one and think, maybe I pegged you wrong. 
what what a statement about what the child's doing to the Mando's life, even whether he wants to or not have that, have that happen. Yeah. And, and, and what it means and how also, again, I see, I see one thing, your actions seem to tell me another thing and, and, and that, that lowers my defenses. Yeah. I've heard that the Mandalorians are unstoppable killers, but you're traveling around with a cute little baby. So maybe, yeah, that I love that line. Um, yeah, and it's a great lead into what I thought was one of the big themes, which is just this uh, core idea of what are you willing to fight for which ties into um, honor, certainly, which is this reoccurring theme of, you know, what is honor to the Mandalorian and all the characters he meets. But, you know, we're going into all of this, you know, set up in the uh, previously on is Mando is fighting for the child, right? He's fighting to find he, he's been quested. That, that's what he is willing to fight for to protect the child and to bring the child home, you know, whatever that means, you know, taking him to the idea of home. Uh, and then immediately we get this, like, there's no deliberation in it. It's so clearly part of his creed of like, it's not a, will I, won't I fight you? Should I, is this the right place or times? Like, sorry, gotta, but give it to me now or I'll kill you. Like, so it's, uh, we get this um, immediate reinforcement that the armor is something that he must fight for. Uh, and then we get the stakes with the big picture story of the town folk in the Tuscans are willing to fight back and forth with one another for uh, basically resources, you know, for water, for land rights, you know, for just kind of the ability to survive based on resources. Uh, but mm-hmm. then that gets broken down to even a smaller level where we see on that micro level that Cobb in that Tuscan leader at the camp are willing to just fight and kill over disrespecting one another about over i mean certainly it's tied to these bigger things because you know the tuscan is translated as saying like you take our water and then you disrespect us by not drinking our weird steaming gourd thing um and and Cobb's like willing to be like i'll put a hole through you because you yelled at me right now uh again it's tied to larger things but in that moment it is just respect that they're willing to kill and die over it um Cobb Vanth runs away from the mining guild is kind of just trying to stay alive. Uh, But then he finds that the armor and he finds something that he's willing to fight for. Like he's willing to fight for the town. You know, he's not just play acting because it would be fun to be a marshal. He is willing to fight for that town. That town means something uh, to him. Uh, You know, I think in that the scene where Mando and Cobb Vanth are convincing the town folk to go along with it, it's, uh, it's really underlined that they're going to be fighting for the town because eventually the right. dragon's going to come for the town. But shouting out the school in particular really reinforces like what what is a basic that almost all civilizations fight for is, you know, to protect their own, to protect their uh, society. And then it all just gets bundled up into this great idea of we all have to work together to fight the dragon because it's a threat to all of us. Yeah. And the the last bit for me that's bundled up in this whole theme of what are you willing to fight for is this is a, another side quest for Mando. He's looking for Mandalorian. He didn't find one. <laughs> He's looking no. for a Mandalorian so a Mandalorian can tell him where other Mandalorians are. So those Mandalorians might be able to tell him where Jedi are. And right. now he finds this armor. In order to get the armor, he's got to fight a dragon. So he's on side quest after side quest in this episode. Yeah. But by the time he's in it, people's lives are on the line and he's willing to sacrifice himself. He says to Cobb Vanth, take care of the child. Like he might not make it back. Mm-hmm. And he goes to this place of extreme honor 
where he committed to something. He committed to helping these people, to helping them save themselves, and he's willing to die for it. I'm glad you brought up that moment where he's kind of like um, save the child, you know, uh, because I always get and lovingly upset at Mando um, when he walks into a bar and just leaves the child on the <laughs> bike, even though we know the child's going to pop up and follow him in. I'm like, you can't say you protect this thing and it goes with you everywhere. And then you just step off a bike and like, I don't, I, I get wonderfully upset, but for him to say it, it does, it does speak to what, like I said, what he's willing to fight for and what, how important this, the information or whatever he needs at the end of this is also so important to him, which is the overall picture. But then again, the honor of what he's willing to do for those who, who need it. It's, it's, uh, I, I don't, I, th- I don't think it's anything short, but pretty powerful from the Mando. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's like, I, I enjoyed the thrill of this episode. This was my, ep- my action figures from when I was a kid fighting each other on screen. And it was so great. Um, and I loved all the aesthetic of the it, it's a Western mixed with a kaiju horror movie. And then there's a little mini gritty 70s <laughs> crime mafia revenge movie <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, there's all these fun aesthetics to enjoy, but it's still got to me this depth of big ideas. Yeah. And and you mentioned one of my favorite moments, uh, but uh, um, and, it, and it, it ties into the big theme. But the school moment, I I laughed a little bit because I, I wanted someone else to go. And what about Mr. McGregor's farm? And it's just like, <laughs> oh, we're, we're really going Western. But uh, I, I I do love it. I love that. Yeah. And, so, and somebody's going to foreclose on the theater. <laughs> we yeah, should yeah. put on a show. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely pulling from that uh, tradition. Uh, other yes. big themes for you? There's a couple ones uh, left for me. Um well, well, yeah, there's, I guess there's three. Uh, so I love the quote, uh, power hates a vacuum. And Mos Pelgo became a slave camp overnight. Uh, that comes from the flashback. We can talk about that one in a second here. Two, in in the trailer, you know, they in, in the previously on, you know, that's not, that's not just catching you up. I also think it sets you on the path forward, right? I mean, that's not in, super insightful for me. That's just what it is. So choosing Quill to say, or, or one of the lines, none will be free until the old ways are gone. Mm-hmm. Taking that in context, but slightly out of context going forward in the season. And that goes straight into this episode. And I think one of the themes you, you, you brought up uh, what you fight for, but I also think forgiveness, which is interesting because Star Wars deals with redemption a lot, right? We love a redemption in Star Wars. And sometimes I think we get to the redemption and many of the characters die in, in the course of redemption, which is I'm really fine with, but. There's also sometimes a desire to to see what happens after you forgive and move forward with those that you have forgiven, right? I, I was one that was like interested in the maybe exploring that with Kylo. I like where it ends up a lot. I'll say I love where it ends up a lot, but I could I understood that. I uh, you know Vader didn't have to ask for forgiveness and stick around. He he didn't have to look into Leia's eyes and try to get her to understand. Yeah, right. And that's pretty powerful. And and that's a that's a Star Wars lesson. I think it's it's there a lot and a lot of other things, but this one was on 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 display, uh, which ties into some of the the moments with Mando acknowledging the the truths of the situation, and without a doubt, this is to me a real world connection to our past, which is um, you know I don't want to go too far down that path, but if you watch something like Ken Burns' documentary, The West, you're you just see a lot and you have to process a lot. And I believe sometimes you acknowledge the past, but you also have to admit and, and or be where you are right now. And we have to find the best way forward. And I think this episode dealt with that a lot and dealt with that pretty honestly with Manda going, yeah, they are brutal. Yep. Things have been done, 
and not just like both sides shake hands, all is forgiven. But yes, it's there. You can't deny that there. You two, you two parties here have not not got off to the best start. We have to put that aside and find the way forward together with not forgetting, but forgiving. And I think that's a pretty powerful Star Wars statement, uh, all wrapped up in a in a kaiju crat dragon story. <laughs> yeah, no, I really agree with you. This is the second big theme uh, that I wanted to talk about, and I love the way that you're approaching it and framing it in this long Star Wars conversation of redemption, forgiveness, uh, just a pause in fighting, mercy. You know, and I, yeah, I don't think this is... This isn't a redemption story. This is a, to me, a breaking a cycle of violence for now. It's like you have peace if you can hold it. You know, the way Mando brokers that peace of they will not come to this village and fire on you unless you break the peace. It, it really is just like a let's take that really hard leap to both stop shooting and see how long we can keep that peace. So is that mercy? Is that just, you know walk away uh is that forgiveness that's really fascinating to think about it really is i, I just thought i really liked how they dealt with it and, and again uh going back to season or chapter five of, of season one uh in the tuscan stuff we 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 both love that a lot of people love that in in an episode that is some sometimes not people's favorites uh but we take that and build upon that here and just really really see it up front uh it's great for the star it's valuable to the star wars story overall to recontextualize the Tuscan Raiders, but to, to use it in our own history, I, I think it's valuable. I think it's important. Yeah, yeah. And I want to, you know, dive into it just a little bit more and with uh, with full acknowledgement that it, it, it touches on real-world stuff, so it becomes very sensitive very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's what's really valuable uh, about it to me. I, I kind of put it in my mind under the headline of re-examining the source material of Star Wars. We have so many conversations about what is too much nostalgia. What is the, you know, the sequel trilogy? To me, the point is the characters are wrestling with the past. Kylo doesn't want to. All that stuff that we've talked about a ton. Uh, And then in just kind of pop culture storytelling, we've talked about the quotes that have gone around, the observations that have gone around of George Lucas made Star Wars out of all of these different influences that he had as a kid and a young filmmaker. Yeah. And then what is it that other Star Wars creators are making Star Wars that is inspired by the thing they loved as a kid, and that is Star Wars. So I think Star Wars is this great example of things happen in real life. Uh, you know, the, the the actual relationship between uh, Native people and settlers uh, in many places, but specifically in America, specifically in, uh, in the West. Um, well, yeah, Midwest, anywhere, <laughs> all over America, I'll say. Uh, but then there's the reality of it, right? But then there's the storytelling that has built up around it uh, that does center it in the West, that does become, you know, your stereotypical cowboy in Indian story. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like this episode, like, pushed pause on the cycle of, hey, uh, things happen in real life. Then we do storytelling about it. Somebody like Lucas sees quote-unquote, cowboy and Indian storytelling, mm. and then uses some of that in Star Wars, you know, the very first one, yeah. uh, in the way the Tusken Raiders are per- portrayed, doubles down on it really hard in Attack of the Clones. Mm. And this whole episode is like saying, like, okay, well, let's really stop 
and let's go back and recontextualize. Let's not start keep just making like this uh, faded uh, Xerox copy of influences. Let's go back to the beginning and let's re-examine and kind of take responsibility for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, it, I thought it did that in a really great way by, there's obviously huge connections to the real world, but it just dove into the history of Star Wars and said, hey, there's lots of Star Wars storytelling that really cares about the, you know, anthropology uh, of a world, uh, about the cultural history of a world. There's so many Clone Wars episodes, right, where uh, we learn about who the Lerman is and why they do things a certain way and what matters to them. And this whole episode is just like, the Tusken Raiders deserve that too. We got that Mm -hmm. brief snapshot of it in uh, Chapter 5, but this one just dove into showing us that the Tuscans have knowledge and skills and culture from thousands of years of life in the desert. You know, it, it's not subtle. It's, it takes a bunch of time. It's the storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they know about the vibrations in the ground. They, you know, I love that they have studied the uh, digestion cycle of the mm-hmm. dragon and feed it to make it sleep longer. Uh, and even Cobb Vanth is like, but I've lived on Tatooine my whole life. I didn't know that. I'm like, because you come from a different culture. Cause you're not connected to this in the same way that the Tuscans are. Um, but then, as you said, it's also not on a mission to just change what we've seen about the Tuscans before. They're raiders. Uh, they can be brutal. Uh, but from their perspective, the townsfolk came there, stole their land, disrespect them, and call them, you know, monsters on legs. Uh, so we get to see this in a, from, from such a rich, uh, you know, multi-point of view uh, perspective. And it's not... I love that it's baked into the story that it uh, the story becomes about this as you were talking about this willingness to come together over a shared threat over the shared cultural idea of what uh, honor is and just that great Star Wars picture of hey if we talk to each other and try to understand where one another is coming from maybe everything won't be sunshine and roses but maybe we can break the cycle of violence yeah breaking the cycle that's a yeah, love that use there. Yeah, uh, excellent stuff. No, yeah, a- excellent stuff. Uh, I-, I think, and it means a lot to me that yeah, Favre wrote this, but that Filoni's on the team in a high position, and and doing it with um, a lot of respect for what Lucas did before. I think you explained it very well, Joseph, of what George was doing back then. And it's not that George, he he just didn't take the time and attack the clones to go sit inside that Tuscan Raider hut and get their point of view on it. You know what I mean? He just yeah. didn't, he, he didn't do that. Uh, I'm fascinated. Like I love, I think it's in from a certain point of view where you, you is, I think it's one of those stories that you get the first time, like, Oh, the Tusk Raiders don't go over to that part because some weird spirit ghost, something, something cut down a village. And it's one of the first times that I was like, yeah, they would have that in their story. Their, their journey, their shared journey as a people, right? They would have that. Absolutely. And I hadn't, I hadn't ever really stopped to think about that from attack the clones on. And I love that kind of stuff. I think, I think it's important. I think star Wars, uh, and all this silliness, we keep, we use it a lot, a lot this episode and fun and silliness to me means fun. Um, I, I, I thought it was a real good moment, real powerful moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I love the fun and the thrill of it, uh, in the, the canon of it and the Boba Fett and the Cobb Vanth. But this stuff is like incredibly important to me. And I think has like a, a depth and a power to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think all of it slid into, uh, you know, 
A, it took the kindness and open-mindedness that's uh, applied to lots of parts of Star Wars and, you know, took the time to, to apply it to Tusken Raiders. And again, I, I'm with you. I think Lucas is telling his story and, and not every story has, you know, time or room for every point of view. So it's not, um, I'm not saying Lucas is a bad person by any means. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying that the larger story of, of Star Wars needs these deeper perspective. But it feels in line with Star Wars is what I'm saying because Lucas always has so much like, Hey, the Ewoks, they have a perspective. You shouldn't just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, make snap judgments about them. So I like that that this perspective that already strongly exists in Star Wars is being applied to uh, a culture that it hasn't been applied to before. And then yep. when they come together, it just it, it makes the actual story richer. We talk a lot about um sometimes a thing is just used because it's been used a lot. Uh, dragons are cool, right? So yeah. you use them. And sometimes a dragon pops up and it does some action. And it's cool. This got back to what the dragon means in lots of early cultures. The dragon is a symbol for a horrific problem that the whole community has to deal with. And either you send your one knight out there to do battle with it to protect the community. Or like in this story, the community has to come together to face the problem. So it's not just a cool, awesome CGI uh, monster uh, from Star Wars. It's this great symbol of this is a threat to both your communities. You have to come together and address it. And it is just, you know, on some levels, it's the same as watching a city council meeting (laughs) with uh, people with really different opinions going, "Uh, yeah, we got to fix the sewer. Uh, But in this uh, great Star Wars storytelling, a literal dragon is going to eat you all and you have to come together because there's a problem in your community. Man, you just touched upon high fantasy, knights, medieval themes, western themes, and local city politics. I, I, well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> uh, any more uh, big theme ideas for you? Uh, no, I mentioned the power hates a vacuum line. I think that can, that's something that's not just specifically this episode. It's just a Star Wars thing. Uh, I like the line here and it was part of the theme. Uh, I think we'll be part of the theme going forward, but of course it will, Ken. It's Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, the last thing for me is just uh, I liked that uh, there was this light theme to keep the stakes of the overall story alive of the child and uh, his exposure to violence. Uh, there's lots of uh, you know moments where he was hiding, right? The great funny closing the pram moment where he's hiding from the violence. But, you know, uh, he hides lots of places. He hides in the bucket when the great dragon first comes. Uh, he uh, hides in the speeder bike bag uh, when he hears the massifs. <laughs> he hides behind the rocks when he sees the great dragon. Uh, and there's that great line uh, from Cobb Vanth of, we going to do this in front of the kid? And <laughs> Mando saying, he's yeah. seen worse. Yes. That it, it was a light touch throughout the episode, but it really kept it alive that, remember, a big part of this is how can Mando do what he needs to do without mm-hmm. just, you know, Queel, uh, our wise mentor of Mandalore, uh, the Mandalorian show told us, you know, he was speaking about droids, but they're not good or bad. It's just, they just absorb what, you know, yeah. the parents imprint on them. And it kept alive that question. What's Mando imprinting on the child? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a great, I thought, I actually thought of you in that moment. He's seen worse. Like Joseph would tell you. He has. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly right. Uh, we yeah. talked about this a little bit at the top. Uh, sometimes the uh, episode titles of Mandalorian, are really obvious and sometimes there's a little bit of like ooh, it's chapter three the sin what is the sin how did you feel about the marshal did you feel like this was just straightforward or did you feel like it was getting to something deeper 
uh, I'm open to your deeper interpretations because I got lost in this. It popped up. It said the Marshall. And I went, oh, God, it is Cobb Vanth. And I just kind of started smiling. <laughs> yeah. I had the same reaction initially. Like, we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, Yeah, no, I just think it goes to things that you and I have already talked yeah. about on this episode of the idea of what a Marshall is. You know, uh, Marshall is usually uh, portrayed as somebody with honor who takes, you know, big risks to stand up for the community. You know, I think it's a title mm -hmm. about taking responsibility. And to that great line that you've been quoting about, you know, uh, power hates a vacuum. We associate culturally the idea of a marshal, particularly in a Western, is mm -hmm. somebody who provides law and honor in a chaotic time or place. So I just feel like it's not, it wasn't just that Cobb Vanth is a marshal. It touches on all those ideas that, you know, I think we think about subconsciously even. Mm, yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's to hear that term in Star Wars. I, I don't know. I, you know, we, we've had Constable Zuvio. We have a lot of those type. <laughs> I, just love, I love their use. I love their use. Yeah. Uh, we also discussed this a little bit already, uh, but what do you feel like this episode uh, was kind of saying to other large Star Wars themes. Did you feel like kind of big themes of the entire saga were touched upon in this episode? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, pluck whatever we said earlier, drop it in here for sure. I mean, the forgiveness stuff, um, armor uh, and, and, and legacy, uh, reputations, all those kind of things. And then how um, it's so funny. You and I sometimes on these on, on force and overall, we'll stumble onto a line or one of us brings it up or let's be honest, you bring it up and then I <laughs> can't stop thinking about it. Uh, lately, it's been that Padme line of uh, this, this war is a, is a, was a failure to listen. Right. And yeah. then all you get the quote wrong, which is why I lose trivia contests. <laughs> um, that is so funny. That one just keeps coming up to me. And this episode is just, it's like, you could just hear the, the, the spirit of Padme over all of it going, uh, listen, 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 all of this, listen. And I, 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 I thought that was, uh, I thought so I, it was, it was there through all this episode for me. Yeah, definitely. Like we might have more in common, uh, than we think. And we might have, you know, uh, a better chance if we work together and compromise all sorts of great stuff there. Uh, mm -hmm. I really thought that the kind of point of view theme was alive that, uh, you know, it's a line that Obi-Wan Kenobi says, but it is a thing that gets brought up a lot in Star Wars with, you know, really trying to understand where different people are coming from, either to find compromise or to understand, honestly, how to defend yourself. That comes up a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I felt like those things were at work. Uh, we, we've been talking a lot on the Clone Wars report because it comes up in Clone Wars a lot about the organic versus the mechanical. Mm -hmm. I just thought this was a great Star Wars as... Uh, you know, thinking about nature and your relationship with it. And sometimes nature is a friend. Sometimes nature is a foe. And that like, yeah, the great dragon's just going to pop up and eat us all. It is, it's a threat. Uh, but it's still kind of a part of the Tuscans culture. They try to live with it. They uh, are, are sustained by its food. Uh, they love its pearls. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. But then there's just more of that, of the, those glowing red eye creatures in graffiti alley, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that planet is. Uh, the massives again a great re-examination of attack the clones coming off as these feral monsters and then turning into just really good doggos <laughs> you want to scratch their ears right oh that's great i believe i believe that planet's planet's called graffiti ton i don't know <laughs> graffiti ton uh yeah the last one for me is just uh, a thing i bang on about that star wars is 
uh, so based on the combination of the old and the new, and in particular, A New Hope, that it, it, New Hope drew from all this uh, myth, all the Joseph Campbell, all this familiar storytelling from uh, Western culture, but pulling from other cultures as well. And yet in 1977, you'd never seen anything like Darth Vader on screen. You'd never seen anything like an X-Wing attacking the Death Star. So it was right. both old and shockingly new. And I think that's what this episode got to me of like, yeah, Tusken Raiders, uh, Banthas, the, the name, Krayat Dragon, all, all this stuff is as old as Star Wars. But I saw it in a shockingly new way in this episode. And it made me so happy because it's the hardest Star Wars for me. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about the Krayat Dragon's design a little bit later because there's something, there's something really specific I love about it. But it's new. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a that's a good cliffhanger. Uh, I think we already talked about anything we disliked or questioned. You're, you've got some uh, opinions and some uh, point of view from your lens on the uh, on some of the performance and the, some of the tone. Was there anything else you disliked or questioned? I just love the way you said it. You've got your opinion, jerk. You could say it, jerk. <laughs> Peter, jerk, Timothy Oliphant. No, um, no I'm, I, actually, I, I do want to. Um, I really, because um, I, I think it's important. I, I, I think sometimes any behind-the-scenes... Uh, production kind of criticisms we all have i mean you have them too we all have them uh unfortunately yeah. we, we choose to highlight other areas often during our discussion those often don't b- believe it or not folks don't really take away my joy of new star wars when when this finally loaded up by the way i was up from 5 a.m uh till this episode ended at 1 30 in the morning for me uh long i chose the wrong day to need to go to the dmv I was falling asleep. I was on my couch, half playing MLB the show just to stay awake. And when when that new logo that comes up and you're about to, you know, doing the Star Wars faces, adrenaline shot through me. I love just having Star Wars every week. So uh, anything story-wise, I, I, I really like this episode and what it does to keep the vibe. We'll talk about that more. Uh, the link was, the link was, uh, excuse me, the length was fine. Um, on my rewatch, I already found some parts where I'm skipping forward in that 15 second forward button. That's not a criticism or even a question. Um, I don't need every episode to be that long. If that, I've never been one that's been upset with shorter episodes. If it packs a punch, this one did fine. I just, I don't necessarily, I know a lot of people are super, super excited for 55 minutes. I don't need that every week. Uh, this was fun for episode one. So we'll see. And I didn't even, I know there were some leaks of episode links. I didn't look at that. Um, but that's the only thing that came up. I just was like, okay, this is a long one. On my rewatch, I already went like, okay, great. They're going to be at the campfire for 10 seconds. I can clip forward. Not not a bad thing. Just it's something I didn't do last season. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. We, we'll put a pin in that and we'll, we'll come back to that. Because uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with that. Uh, but that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, I think for myself, the... I. I was so excited that we we just went there. We just, hey, here, here's Cobb Vanth. Here is, uh, at the end, you know, while I was watching the episode, I was like, are we going to get a Boba Fett confirmation? I was so thrilled that we did that I I was also like, in those last seconds, is there any way we can tie up Fennec Shand? <laughs> is there any way we can uh, flash to, you know, uh, was that Cobb? Was that Boba? You know, I'm sure there are strong opinions. Uh, what, do you have a strong opinion now that we've seen this? Who's... Who was walking up to her? I, I Boba Fett, and they both got jingy, jingly, jangly spurs going on in this episode at, at two points. Uh, there's it's, it's subtler on Boba Fett at the end, but you you know Cobb Vance when he walks in, he is he is like Gary Cooper walking into a bar, ching 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 there. So um, I think it's Boba Fett, just the action. Okay. Yeah, 
Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, I, I think that was my only like mild, like, oh man, I would have loved that. Uh, but I trust that we will uh, fill in uh, that idea later. Uh, mm-hmm. The only other thing for me is there was in the great dragon fight, there's one time where the dragon pops up and uh, in Mando says, there he is. Uh, yes. And I think, I think the intent was the dragon has revealed itself in larger scope so everybody can truly see how big it is. I think that was the intent, but it kind of just read like, yeah, Mando, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's a giant dragon. Everybody knows. Uh, I, I wrote that down too, sir. Yeah. Just, I, I think, and you're totally right, but it was just kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the dragon. Yep. Yep. It, it was almost like, you know, a, a conversation with a gruff dad and gruff dad doesn't have anything better to say than, yep, yep, yep. That's a, <laughs> that's a beef roast. Yep. 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 There it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Force Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Force Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. And we are back to keep discussing Chapter 9, The Marshal of the Mandalorian. We're going to dive into some details now that we've talked about some of the big thematic ideas. I'm sure some of those will resurface as well. But, uh, Ken, let's talk about some of our favorite uh, Star Wars canon lore connections to other stories. Um, Let's dive into the big ones. Uh, Do you want to start with just uh, the Cobb Vanth or the Old Man Fett? Ooh, yeah. Uh, Cobb Vanth. How about we do Cobb Vanth? Let's talk about Cobb Vanth. Yeah. Cobb Vanth. All right. So what's interesting is as of this moment of our recording, I have not watched this episode with uh, Grace, my my girlfriend, my uh, partner over here. Um, and she's a huge Star Wars fan, but not of um, the novels and everything like that. Right. So I am curious to see where this lands for her. Maybe we'll do a follow up on the news show next week. <laughs> Other than she loves Timothy Oliphant for reasons that I'm just going to have to accept. And, um, you know, so I'm curious because this won't mean anything to her. Right. It it means a lot to us. Right. So I, I loved it. I'm excited. A um, little bummed that some of the scoops and leaks got out and took away some of the joys. But hey, it, it's also the end of the game. No harm, no foul. It didn't take away my enjoyment of it. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated. But they did. They did. They used everything about him that I loved from Wendig's Aftermath interludes. They I, I want to say drastically changed his story, but it's different. It's different. And so as someone who was like, as it, as the sequence started, I was like, oh, are we going to get to see like a blown out Sarlacc pit, the Sarlacc pit there? Are we going to go uh, see him barter and fight with that guy, kill that guy, declare himself, you know, are we going to, are we going to get a mention of Malakili in the hutlet? Like what are we going <laughs> to get any of that? We got a shorter, more direct version of the story. We got flashbacks. You and I always say what characters say doesn't necessarily mean they're facts for Wikipedia or canon, but with a flashback, kind of cements some of it in uh, that this is the way. Um, oh, oh, God, I use that almost unironically. Um, <laughs> so anyways, that's my starting point. Uh, we can go into it from there. For you yeah, yeah. I'm, 
I'm I'm in the same uh, boat with you, partner wise. My wife loves Star Wars. She'll probably be uh, wearing uh, all of her uh, Star Wars stocks, Star Wars shirt when she watches the episode with me. Uh, I am wearing the uh, Baby Yoda sweatpants that she bought me. She's all in. She doesn't know who Cobb Vanth is, right? I mean, because she reads some novels, but she's not all in uh, on that. And I, uh, my prediction is, it's not going to make any difference because. We have a, an excitement as uh, hardcore Star Wars fans because a lot of us like Cobb Vanth. A lot of us liked his story. I think there's also an excitement because that means something to us that a character from the novels that we invested in can suddenly show up in big time Star Wars uh, on the screen like this. Um, so there is an investment, but just narrative, just story wise, if Aftermath didn't exist, and some guy who is clearly not Boba Fett in bits and pieces of Boba Fett, Boba Fett's armor walks in, you know, playing Marshall and immediately says, I'm not a Mandalorian. I just got this. I would have been just as hooked. It works narratively, right? 100%. It, it, uh, you know, to go into a little bit behind the scenes, I would love to get the story of how this came about. about. You, you cannot convince me that John Favreau was like, hey, I read that Aftermath book. And there's a guy, you, I, you cannot tell me that the guy who's like, I don't know, deep cut for me, 3PO and Empire, never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> even, even joking in that clip. Um, you can't convince me that he was like, I got an idea for Cobb Vanth. But you can convince me that it was like Boba Fett. I'd love to do something with Boba Fett. I'd love to do something with his armor. And that Filoni and, and others were like, hey, this kind of already exists. And it's like perfectly synced up. It's perfectly synced up. And, and the power hates a vacuum theme races. It, it's it's. It's magical that, that, that this was this existed, but I think a lot of that, a lot of the book fans and comic fans will say, "Hey, yeah, this stuff exists." Saw Gerrera, Clone Wars, book stuff, it exists and and it, and it fits right into the bigger story. Um, so I was excited about that. Uh, yeah, you're so right. Just it's like it's it's a home run. Yeah, wise. yeah. And to address the um the differences from the book, I mean, I think that's just. Uh, that is a part of being a Star Wars fan. It was always uh, this is the way for Lucas when the expanded universe was expanding everywhere. He's like, I'll I'll change anything on screen. That's just the way it is. Um, and I feel like there is a, an attempt to make everything connected, everything harmonious. Um, but there is also like a we saw that with Clone Wars, uh, with Ahsoka's story with Maul, with the color of her blades, um, that the, the, the storytelling is going to come first. Um, and for me, it's kind of fun headcanon of like, is what Cobb Vanth told Mando in this episode the truth? Because it feels more like the truth of like, mm -hmm. I ran away, I grabbed some, hopefully something valuable. I grabbed a Camtono and I was lucky that it had Silicax crystals in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I saw this armor in it and it made me realize I could, I could be better. I could do better. That feels more honest. So I almost feel like in my headcanon, it's fun to be like, this is the truth, and what was in the aftermath book is a story he told somebody at the bar. You know, <laughs> yeah, and I think you have to live with that. And I think I saw Wendig tweet out one; he hadn't even seen it, and he was like, "Oh, I'm here, and it's stranded. Great. Hey, it's not often this happens from book characters jump into films or TV and Star Wars. I'm honored, and I haven't seen more from him. And and whatever, you know, his opinion doesn't affect or, or take away from the episode for me. Um, I'm happy for him as an author. This is something he created, and it really works. So. Uh, as far as the story, I'm with you. I, I think this is a little bit, it's not a big over-present theme, but this kind of is like the stories we tell. The stories we tell are, are we all do it, whether you think to or not. I, I got stories of, 
failures of my career in the past that aren't 100% accurate, uh, they've become accurate because I can't remember how they really happened. <laughs> I can't, you know? Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm Brian Williams on NBC News saying I flew a helicopter in a war. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that, but it's just like we all have that kind of like, especially if you're a storyteller or you're entertainers or whatever, like you and I have been for decades now, you, 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 you hopefully you don't tell a bad story. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the story in the novels is, is definitely different. It's definitely different. In but details, but not terribly in, in spirit, right? It's it's beat for beat in spirit. It really is. It's not. He's not calling it Freetown. Malakili doesn't come out with a hutlet. Uh, and then what do you do with that? Anyways, it's big. And, and uh, you know, just it, it, adapting something from books to show it is always going to be different because it's a different medium. And you can you can see not just, uh, you, can, you know, or, or sometimes TV or movies is limited in that, like, you can't go an entire season where no one knows that Theon Greyjoy is Reek. You can't because you see Alfie Allen's face. You have to present it different. So they they did a great job. I thought I thought they took what was there and 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 now it exists and we can find out the the true story or maybe we never will. But it doesn't matter. The spirit is there. Yeah, yeah, and I so agree with uh, uh, your. Uh, theorized discussion about how this came about. I think we've talked about it before. I think that there's great excitement to see that a character like this can make the leap. And uh, I know many of our listeners, uh, myself, I know you are very vocal about it. Ken, we'd love to see Ray Sloan on screen. Um, mm -hmm. And this this gives me hope. But I also think it is important to, to think through what I think the process is going to be. Uh, you know, um, my opinion, I don't think there's a like, Hey, Mandalorian, we should, in the second season, include some characters from the books. Let's pick five and decide which one. You know, I don't think it was ever on the board. Ray yeah. Sloan or Cobb Vanth, right? Yep. <laughs> it was, Favreau has not been even remotely subtle about, this is, this was originally a Boba Fett show, basically. Uh, yep. It's, the Mandalorian is what I dreamed Boba Fett might be like, but then I want to pull the actual Boba Fett in, and yeah, what a gift, to John yeah. Favreau, who loves Westerns, to say, ah, well, Boba Fett's actually complicated. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened to the real Boba Fett in modern canon. Yeah. He might be a burned out, upset old man, uh, but there's a wannabe pretending to be a marshal, trying to be a marshal in his armor. You can just see John Favreau's eyes widening because it's so yeah. in his lane. Oh, I imagine him. He's cooking a Cubano with Roy Joy and Filoni's telling him this. And Fever's like, what, really? They wrote books. They wrote, they made, they wrote some more Star Wars books. Oh my God. That's great. Uh, I can totally see that. And by the way, look, Filoni was raised by George. Filoni has said several times, George wasn't concerned with the EU. He's concerned about the spirit of the stories, the themes, uh, without a doubt, there's canon stuff that, that definitely Dave, you know, and team, we always say in team, it's not just the man in the cowboy hat, but but Dryden Voss appearing in season seven in Clone Wars, little things like that. I think he gets it and he gets the importance of it, but uh and the Ahsoka stuff you mentioned. I, I don't I've never got the sense that he's gonna he's gonna be beholden to too much unless it directly, directly conflicts. Again, yeah. it, you and I have gone over that, you know, you and I have a pretty strong opinion that the episode nine stuff with Poe Dameron expands his story and touches upon an era we had not previously known about. That's not a retcon. That is an additional information con. Um, <laughs> I, I think this Dave dances on retcon more than people give him credit for. He's not in the story groups going. And by the way, the, the, the what the, the we, it's, we don't have time to get it. the story group is mostly making sure cereal boxes are OK 
And if you need some advice, we're, we're there for you. Otherwise, we're going to help build a theme park. And, uh, you know, it, it's never been what people think it is outside of the, the the sphere, so to speak. So Dave isn't in those meetings. Dave doesn't. He'll figure it out his own and then we'll make it work. Where's Jason Sindula? Where is he? <laughs> He's nowhere. We'll, we'll find out when the story needs us to know. Yes. When the and themes I, need us to know. Yeah. And if Cobb Vanth was in Aftermath, but uh, had a real different energy, a real different angle, and he didn't make sense to the themes of, yeah. you know, honor and what is a Mandalorian and how do you survive and have law and order in a time of uh, chaos? If he didn't already totally line up with all those themes, he would not have been in this television show. He would not have been. Instead, they presented this. John goes, God, this is great. And and probably goes, wait a minute, could we get Timothy Oliphant and, and W. Earl Brown Ed, can, can we can can we just do Deadwood? Can we do Deadwood? <laughs> oh, great! Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who knows uh, if there is a second season of Disney Gallery? Maybe we'll get to see that moment you're describing, maybe uh, where Favreau is cooking and Filoni is reading him aftermath lovingly, chapter by chapter. Yeah, where is Brad Dorf? Where is where is Ian McShane? I want them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ian McShane. Ah, uh, can't. Oh. And I'm not going to quote him anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's- it's so hard not to. <laughs> it's so hard not to, but shouldn't, shouldn't. I'm going to hold myself back. Um, let's talk about Old Man Fett. Uh, I, I know I've been talking about Boba Fett a lot. Uh, we did this great um, preview, getting ready, anticipation for the second season of Mandalorian with uh, Alex and Molly Damon on uh, on, on their Star Wars Explained. And I, I, I had to stop myself. I couldn't stop talking about Boba Fett. Ken, I'm so excited for Old Man Fett. It, it, a dream came true at the end of this episode. Uh, but I'm going to contain myself, and I want to hear your thoughts first. I don't, but I don't want you to contain yourself. This is this is the spot for it. And and uh, no, I, I I love this. Uh, it's, again, I'm not I'm not I'm not being star. I think that was one of the best moments. Uh, I, I you look at his face, and we don't know what's happened to him, but yet you've got a sense that of everything that's happened to him in the last five years uh, from Tamara Morrison. I, I it was it was great. It, it's in in the shot, the twin sons, mm. him not in any kind of mask is wonderful it's something you and i think i I wanted no it it's it was great it was everything i need to be and i am i am i'm not a boba fett stan i've I've said this many times the reason i keep saying it is i don't want people to write anything i'm saying off is like you probably just grew up collecting boba fett toys i didn't i didn't i love the look of them i've always loved the look of them uh i don't mind Django, and i don't mind young boba and tech i really don't i I think the moment with his slain father's uh you know decapitated head is a powerful moment in star i think it's one of my beautiful one of the most beautiful bittersweet moments it's, it's not entirely beautiful uh but you know what i mean um so no joseph i want to hear you go off because this 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 the only reason i was going to be interested about boba fett being in this series and on any level um is to also recontextualize but turn him into something different deal with his trauma deal with his past i'm not saying this is guaranteed to happen but this is a step in that direction yeah, to me, it's a huge step in that direction. And it wasn't just Boba Fett. It was what I imagined and hoped Boba Fett might be in the little bit that we get to see. And who knows, I could be totally wrong. And, you know, that might be it for this uh, season uh, of Mandalorian. It might just be like, hey, just letting you know he's still there. We might come back to him and it might be different than I'm imagining it. But right now, what I saw was exactly what I imagined and exactly what I wanted. Um my relationship with Boba Fett is I love both Boba Fetts. I love the Boba Fett of the uh, original trilogy because I was alive then. You didn't, you just didn't have as many 
characters walking around in armor who looked as cool as he does. You didn't have as many ships as Slave One who looked as cool as he does. You didn't have as many epic heroes like Han Solo who had one old enemy who could outsmart him and take him down like Boba Fett. I get it. If you're just watching Empire Strikes Back now, he stands around, says a couple things, doesn't really do much. Uh, but then when I grew up, I had three years of that with that action figure, with that mystery, with that mystique to make up all these stories in my head. And I think that's where Favreau is at with uh, Boba Fett. Then you go to the prequel era, and we know that Filoni is a fan of the prequels, that Filoni loves them. He's lived in that era, and he's told stories of the other Boba Fett, the Boba Fett who now has some ideas attached to him, who has the baggage of being a clone, who has the baggage of being maybe a Mandalorian, maybe not. We do not concretely know in canon what he thinks of himself, what Jango thought of himself. We have the baggage that he absolutely hates Jedi, uh, and that maybe contributed to his not paying attention to what was going on because he was so excited to try to kill Luke Skywalker. Uh, so we have all this baggage of who this character is trying to be as we get to know him in the prequel era, and that's all Filoni. So we have this perfect marriage of the two Boba Fetts uh, that can come together to recontextualize into one character, to take all those ideas, that baggage of what is it to be a Mandalorian? What is it to be a bounty hunter? What do I think of this new galaxy where the Empire is gone and there's whispers that that uh, Skywalker guy is, uh, is it really is a Jedi and, and they are going to come back and they're going to change everything. Uh, and he's wrestling with all that and He's now this kind of damaged old guy who walked away from his armor or got pulled away from his armor. And it's just this fascinating opportunity to bring the mystique of this mystery man, this impossibly tough guy, back into unison with what does it mean to be a clone? What does it mean to be a bounty hunter? What does it mean to be a Mandalorian? What does it mean to have had all this power, all this glory, and have lost it? And I so trust these people to tell me that story of bitter, damaged old man fed. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, I just nod and go preach on. Yeah. I, no, because <laughs> it's, it's, um, there's a lot of potential, but it'll be, uh, we're always going to be open. Uh, you, you know, who knows? We'll see. And could you imagine if we don't see, <laughs> we don't see him till episode or season three? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we did see. Uh, there was that kind of great segue to him of uh, of Cobb Vance saying, you tell your people I wasn't the one who broke that about his jetpack. Yes. Uh, and I interpreted that as, like, Mando looked over and knew that the jetpack was damaged, and if he hit it, it would go flying. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the I wasn't the one who broke that was a, you know, dot, 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 ellipsis, Boba Fett did. Yeah. Um, and so here's Boba Fett. But then we see him, and... He's got some scars. He obviously doesn't have the armor, but he's got uh, some Tusken Raider gear. He's got a gaffy stick. He's got their uh, cycler type rifle. Uh, he's got some tattered, uh, standard Tatooine robes. Uh, what did you make of that, of what you literally saw of him? Again, it tells a story. I, I, I'm going to be a broken record here, but not, now just not the face, but now his his um, his gear, his figure. Oh God, this is going to be a great black series figure, isn't it? Oh man. <laughs> it just tells you without it. And then did he ditch it? You know, did he crawl out of that Sarlacc pit or, you know, 
I don't know, did a crack dragon start eating that Sarlacc and he'd use that as an opportunity to get out? We don't know. We'll find that out. Maybe we won't. Look for the one-off comic. He is a brutal character. Uh, Some of the stuff in the Bounty Hunter comics, um, good or bad, whether you love the choices they've made as storytellers, Boba Fett is brutal. Is that the, that's the big question I have. Is that the same guy? And I I don't have that answer from this. And I love that because it's a collection of what has he done? Is he taken it from the Tusken Raiders, that stuff? Or has he collected it, stolen it, killed them, worked with them? Is he, could he sit around a campfire and talk with them? Who who has he become and why hasn't he left this planet or does he leave and come back? But is he is he just the the ghost of Tatooine going around killing people? Like what is it? And and it seems like his outfit is telling many parts of that story, you know? Yeah, yeah. This is the uh, I think you're talking about some great things and some similar things and uh, the I just started picturing things. I wasn't like trying to come up with like, what's my prediction for the podcast to, you know, put up on the board and, you know, are we going to be right or wrong or whatever? It just, because I'm so excited about it, it just started flowing in my head. This picture of maybe he was rescued by Tuscans or maybe uh, Tuscans took him and they're going to eat him, whatever, you know, uh, <laughs> they're going to cook him. Uh, uh, so this idea that he has some relationship with the with the Tuscans, either good or bad, uh, but that they you know pulled him out of the mess, uh, and then by the time you know maybe maybe they maybe they had a bond, maybe he already knew them the way he the way Mando does, maybe he already had a, some respect for them, so they had some respect for him. Um, mm. They nurtured him, or he survived in some way, uh, and by the time he becomes aware of what's going on in the galaxy now that he's recuperated a little bit. His armor's gone. The Empire is gone. We know from other things in Mandalorian, the New Republic is serious about tracking down people that they've got a problem with. And like you just said, Boba Fett in the comics is being portrayed as really brutal and really, really in league with the Empire. I think there's a substantial bounty on Boba Fett. I think the New Republic is, he's he's high on the list. So if mm-hmm. He's injured, maybe ashamed, maybe he feels like he's lost his honor, he's lost his armor, yeah. he's wounded, and then he realizes the entire galaxy has changed, and they're just going to be after me, I'll just, I'm just going to stay here and, and make my way, mm. and then what if that moment that we just saw was, maybe he's heard about this, this guy in armor, and maybe he knows it's his in this town, in most uh, Pelgo, but that shot is him you know, maybe seeing from a distance, not only a Mandalorian on a speeder bike, but, you know, is he looking from a distance? Is he seeing his armor? Is that the moment where he's like, oh, damn, it, I, I got to get back in the world. I, I'm, I'm taking what's mine back. Yeah, because I, I love this idea that I, I, I definitely don't think he's like, oh, it's Din. <laughs> you know, he doesn't know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I like that idea. Uh, I like a lot of that of just like, up. Oh, game time i gotta get back in and again we just don't know and i love it i love yeah. it. yeah mm. yeah and it's it's really fun like like i said th- that's stuff that was just like ooh, i got excited about could be absolutely wrong and i'll be thrilled to hear uh what the storytellers decide to tell us in the story uh any other thoughts on boba fett before we move on to any other canon moments old man fett i want that figure i, I hadn't even really thought cool because we hadn't seen it but now we see it just that i'm there yeah yeah, I'm so there for old man Fett and all of his action figures. Uh, to misquote Queel, I have purchased already in my mind. Um, 
So I, uh, I made the the long list of all of the canon nods. At this point, we I won't even say nods. I'll just say stuff that we are familiar with. Aliens, uh, you know, places, uh, technology uh, that reappeared. Um, I don't need to go over the whole list. I just want to pick out a couple that uh, meant a lot to me. Uh, do you have some, Ken? Uh, no, I'm looking for your list. I, I mean, yes, sorry. I do a couple little things that I liked, and then we'll see where they lay. I, I like the use of network of covens. Mm. Uh, that that is really interesting to me, especially what we thought we knew or learned from season one of you know the armor and and her her team there. Like what what is her way versus any other one's way? Interesting. We know it was R five. I do like just R five really having just an on camera R five. Yes, you come on over here. I like that moment. Cobb Van Speeder. We're, I'm sure we're gonna discuss. And small one for me. Death Star two explosion being shown on on Holovids. I actually really like that. It. I like uh, Lando in the from a certain point of view on watching the Holovids of the first Death Star exploding. It just makes it a kind of a real world because they have that kind of technology. They have Holovid news and all that kind of stuff. So I like actually seeing that. Yeah, and the rebels would want the galaxy to see that, right? Like, that's right. they would want to broadcast that. Uh, and, yeah, and it ties together to the special editions of you know when he's when uh, Cobb Vanth has that line of they they're shooting blasters over most Eisley. Like, uh-huh. yep. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. We see them celebrate in in the special edition, so that's great. Uh, anything else? Uh, no, no. I, I, there's definitely more. So I want to want to hear your list, though. Yeah, uh, well, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll power through it and we'll talk about the ones we want. Yeah, I, I love seeing that graffiti uh, town up close, uh, graffiti alley, graffiti ton, and and you know I I I, I, I freeze framed. Uh, there's a Tuscan in there. There's a look a Vader like figure, maybe a snow trooper, a protocol droid, rabbit droid. It's great to just kind of be able to Orbesh yeah. in there. And then of course we know uh, Gorkresh is uh, the same species as Mio from the uh, Cantina and Abyssin. Uh, it's mm. great to see the Gamorians with actual vibro in their vibro axes. After years of hearing vibro axes, it's great to see the vibro from them. Uh, we got Twi'lex, uh, Zabrox. Uh, Gore mentions the Gatra. How did you feel about that? The droid Gatra? The Gatra? I like that. And it uses, yeah, uh, uses it as, uh, yeah, no, I like that a lot. I like that. Yeah, that was just a great, like, that's been developed so much in the comics and the books. That was yeah. great to fill out. Like, well, what what are some of the other forces that are trying to scrabble for power? The Gotra would be one of them. Uh, Pelimoto saying, thank the force. That I always like it when uh -huh. a little bit of that sort of presence of people are aware of the force and have opinions about it. Uh, R5 was great. It was great to have the close-up of the damage motivator area uh, that we heard about in Disney Gallery. Um Got yeah. the Wamprats, uh, the Weequay bartender who is <laughs> just called Weequay by his good friend. <laughs> I know. Which I th I th actually thought that was good because again, this is that was character building for Cobb Vanth. He makes it clear that he is from Tatooine. It doesn't feel like he's uh, lived from uh, left Tatooine. There is a little bit of not xenophobia, but just hey, mm -hmm. humans, humans live here except for this one guy who's a Weequay. So we call him Weequay. That yeah. kind of does say something. It does. Even it though does. he's clearly pals with him and cares about him and he's a part of the community, but there's yeah. still that. He doesn't need a name. He's a weak way. And it, it, to me, it also reads a little bit like growing up with those Kenner action figures that are wonderfully misnamed or, you know, you thought weak way was his name, you know, like. It, oh, yeah. It, all that, too. There, It's funny. Uh, it means something, but it was funny. There's uh, some great meta stuff. Of course, the, you know, the, the crate dragon. We'll talk about that. Uh, yeah, that that single pod racer engine is a speeder. Should we just uh, lose our minds about that for a second? Love it, man. And give me this. Give me a Black Series version of this as well. Um, Anakin's pod or not. I don't know if there's by now. Maybe there's a confirmation or a non-confirmation online. I don't know, but I loved it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it totally looked like it. It was one of the things that I just had so much fun nerding out about. Um, I loved uh, making it really, really clear that the uh, the imperial occupation of Tatooine and, and that that was really felt uh, and that things changed when they left. I thought that was great. Uh, uh, mining Collective, you know, we've met Mining Guild. We've seen other miners. I, I like that that's a real force in the galaxy, uh, you know, because some Star Wars storytelling really does choose to get into uh, you know, the means of production, the resources motivate everything. So just being reminded of that uh, and, and, you know, that, that they're miners as well. They're not just moisture farmers, that they're mining something in their little mining camp there. Uh, it's great reinforcement. Uh, obviously, Jawa's sand crawlers, uh, seeing that that jetpack rocket that the, you know, the action figure was allegedly going to be able to do what Cobb Vanth did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, uh, you know, obviously we saw Django do it with his rocket, but to see Boba Fett's rocket do that, uh, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, massives, obviously from uh, Attack of the Clones, and seeing them as good doggos. Uh, Gaffy stick, seen seen uh, Gaffy sticks used to clean Bantha's teeth. <laughs> yes, right. Like, that oh, nice. that's what it was for. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure it's a multi-purpose tool, but that was great to see. Um, uh, seeing the Tuscan camp that was very much like the one from Attack of the Clones was powerful. Um, you know, getting some more uh, canon about the Sarlacc and that there's an abandoned pit uh, in the eating of it. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, the broken Boba jetpack we talked about. Um, and then a, a couple of crate dragon things for me is the last thing on the list is uh, when the crate dragon was coming out, I was like, Ooh, are they going to do it? And it, they did. I think compared and contrasted in the uh, special edition of a new hope. One of the later specialer editions, uh, Obi-Wan's call is changed when he scares off the Tusken Raiders and it's right. big and wild and weird. And there is hints of that in the actual Krayat Dragon's roar, because that's what he was doing to scare off the Tusken Raiders. So I thought that that was an awesome bit of nerdery. And then the final one is the the Krayat Dragon Pearl, which is, you know, uh, mentioned in modern canon in Aftermath, Heir to the Empire. But, you know, it's uh, part of Knights of Old Republic. It's part of those EU Han Solo novels that I read. It's in the Phantom Menace video game, the Darksaber novel. So... The Pearl, I think, uh, transcends lots of different Star Wars fandom, and I bet a lot of people are excited to see that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, uh, my, my pal uh, Josh McCook has been texting me all morning because he loved this episode, and he's he's a very, very casual Star Wars fan. He's like, what is what was that thing? I said, That's, you know, the Pearl, kind of like a rite of passage. He's like, oh, that was cool. So it works, man. It, you don't need to know the legacy of everything. You can just got to see what's on screen, and it works. Right. That can be a fun nod for people who have been longtime fans or for new fans. It could be great tip of the iceberg storytelling. They're like, what is that? And why are they so happy to find it? Yeah. He also described the crowd dragon as uh, tremors meets smaug. So I said that I'm going to quote Josh on that. On the- <laughs> uh, that is a solid one. Is that what you wanted to share about the crowd dragon's uh, design? No. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I love his nostrils. <laughs> ah, I thought it might be the nostrils. Why'd they grab you? It almost made him cute. Or it, I don't know. Um, and look, I think the Krat Dragon needed to go. It's been actively terrorizing a lot of people, but I still kind of have, like, I did not like seeing Banthas being eaten. I did not like that. My animal loving heart kind of got upset. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm one who still looks at the Mudhorn and goes, what was the Mudhorn doing to you? Well, it was, well you're the problem. Um, but the Krat Dragon does cause problems. Uh, uh, but So I'm okay with what happened there. Um but uh love yeah big giant and it has nostrils to breathe <laughs> to, yeah. snip, to snip out banthas and town folk <laughs> yep uh classic dragon uh dragon sniffing action mm-hmm. um 
I also thought this episode was it was really interesting to uh, see the second season right away kind of uh, build on its own lore. I mean, there's some just continued storytelling, like mm-hmm. the rarity of uh, Beskar uh, learning that the, as you said, the the it's not just that one Mando covert. There's a change of, of them. Uh, feels like everyone in the galaxy has heard stories of these Mandalorians. But then there's also Pelimoto returning. There was Spashka returning. There was a Camtono returning. It felt like it was also like building its own legend. Yeah, this uh, this this uh, this this is a great start to the season for a lot of reasons. But that kind of stuff, the vibe carrying forward, the side quest of the week leading to something bigger. And now we're maybe more used to it. Uh, you know, I'm not seeing online uh, any the same criticisms I was seeing in episodes four, five, and six last season. You know what I mean? Like not like, oh, okay, we get it. Um, Right. So I like that. I like that. I like what that means. And then, uh, yeah, it's it drawn upon its own world now. And I like this world a lot. Even anything I was saying up top that sometimes I might get pulled out. Um, also, it all funnels into this is its own thing. It, it's referenced to other things. It ties to other things. It's spiritually connected with so much more in Star Wars uh, beyond just the show. But this show has its own little universe, which is what I, uh, you know, you hear that in Favreau's voice when he describes it in that gallery stuff. We're just over here. We're just over here. And I like that it can draw upon itself. Yeah. Like we're building our little Mandoverse and it, it will touch other verses, but we're, we're building our little Mandoverse. Yeah. Uh, get into some of our uh, favorite little moments. Did you have some favorite action moments? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I say this cause I liked it. I loved the little uh, pro wrestling ringside dive into a table. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Uh, like an indie wrestling show. No, I like that. I, I do like that opening sequence. I, I am intrigued. I'm not. A, I don't always. I'm not always pulled into the criminal underworld stuff in Star Wars, but I, I uh, like it when it's done right. I thought that was done really right. Uh, I just, double jet, double jetpacks in the sky, like double rainbows in the sky, double <laughs> in the sky. I like that sequence. I like uh, the connection. Just even if it is uh, says something about what the man knows about that jetpack, and and I didn't break it. It's also just fun to see that jetpack needs to kind of be hit to work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely got some flaws it needs to address. The the Fett family has jetpack issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like a lot of that. Uh, and oh, I like the I like the Tuscan Raiders and their uh, little scorpion uh, arrows. There, they can fight dragons in many uh, many fandoms and properties. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I was wondering like, why are those familiar to me? Oh yes, <laughs> got it. Uh, yeah, I, I loved that shot of uh, of Cobb Vanth. Uh, using the rocket, using the targeting system and the rocket uh, to blow up those mining slavers in that, uh, I believe, V-35 courier land speeder. I looked up mm-hmm. which, when I thought it was. But that, that again, is to the, you know, uh, for people uh, of my era, that's the stuff that we didn't get to see, but we imagined with our action figures, and it's just mm-hmm. thrilling to see it on screen. Um, I loved the acid spit of the Krat Dragon. That was one of those moments where it's like, okay, this is a Saturday morning adventure serial yeah. with cliffhangers where one problem suddenly becomes three problems. And I love that. It's a big dragon. It'll eat us. It's spitting acid on us. Yeah, I I, I liked it. I, I kind of, I, I had a fun kind of like, oh, of course it would. Um, uh, But yes, of course it would. So I liked it. Yeah. Big, pulpy, uh, heighten the stakes. Uh, yeah. And the, as you say, two jetpacks in the, in the sky. <laughs> I love uh, that uh, Mando says, let's get after it. And then they take off together. The theme kicks in. The child stares up at daddy. And mm. it's, yeah, it's just fist pumping for me, uh, that particular moment of action. And then the last one, uh, I love that the pulse rifle returned. I should have mentioned that in, in canon. Oh, right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I like that we we got the idea of, yeah, Mando's going to 
do some classic mythic stuff. He's going to go into the belly of the beast. He's going to let it swallow him. And, you know, the classic, a bantha loaded with bombs. Uh, yeah. But I like the electricity and I like that it, we know that we've seen the pulse rifle do that to the, the Ravenox in the first chapter. And that was just a cool image knowing that's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was one of those, like, I don't say that you, you see it coming in a bad way. Just like, yeah, that's, that's what needs to happen. And, and that's the journey. And then sometimes that is uh, the answer is the answer. And, and it was just fun to see. I feel, again, I feel really sorry for that Bantha, but I guess, you know, you're serving a greater purpose. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel sorry for it too. It's, it's hard. I, I just cling to those massives being good doggos. Good makes me happier. Uh, do you have some any favorite moments of comedy or whimsy or uh, grizzled weirdos? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, there's some funny lines. Uh, they might be open to some fresh ideas. It's a funny line. <laughs> <laughs> Raiders gets eaten. Uh, a lot of stuff um, like that all the way through it. But I uh, grizzled weirdos. I, I do like the weak way uh, proprietor. We got a great bartender uh, in Star Wars added in. Uh, it's definitely W Earl Brown in a weak way costume having fun it reminded me a little bit of um horatio sands is the mithril which we're gonna get again we know but like again not saying it's a bad way of just like it's a costume you know it but the actor inside is is seeping through and it's fun and i enjoyed it and in and, and, and the grand uh you know list of star wars bartenders we, we got a new one that i i i'm excited about um, Gore Varesh, I love that line about normally I have to seek out remnants of you Mandalorians in your hidden hives to harvest your shells. I thought it was a really good line. Yeah. Visceral and get an image and it's not a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it really does build up to, you don't feel too bad for him when Mando takes him out, uh, mm-hmm. when he's saying something kind of that awful of like, I enjoy hunting you to steal, <laughs> yeah. uh, your honor, honorable armor for money. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, I, I, Pelimoto just, I felt like, um, she worked better for me. I, I still, I always like, uh, Amy Sedaris. I think she's great. Mm-hmm. I think chapter five in the first season that we've all discussed, there's a lot of tonal shifts. There's one point where she's doing something kind of funny and the music goes hard to let us know that it's uh, funny in light. And I don't always like it when the music holds your hand. And I just felt like this was flowing more from the character of, uh, we know that she's kind of a, uh, in a chatterbox and we'll let you know what she thinks and she's mm-hmm. it built on the relationship that she had with the child and I really like that line of how much do you want for it just kidding but not really you know if this thing ever divides or buds I will gladly pay for the offspring I thought that was it made sense for the character it worked for me tonally and it worked for me in a meta way it, that that was one of the lines that feel like that might have been written before the success of the child but it might have been added to be like this her reaction to the child is everyone's if it divides or buds i'll buy it <laughs> yeah it's fun i wrote that so i wrote that down because i think it's a fun line it's a fun beat uh that i was just i had that like i couldn't help but have that like wait a minute wait a minute are we gonna are we gonna have more childs is that coming our way or <laughs> <laughs> oh no it budded like <laughs> i, I want to know it got know. wet yeah yeah. Uh, look, I, I so I love Amy Sedaris. I, I, I'm a that's a mid '90s sketch comedy sweet spot for me. Stranger with Candy, Exit Fifty Seven. Uh, I like the Sedaris family. I uh, Dave Sedaris too. Dave Sedaris. Um, yeah, Pelly doesn't hit for me as much as others, but I agree with you. I think um, some of the problems I had with her in Episode Five uh, were choices, music, as you've mentioned in the background. But I, I, I do like her existence, and I. Uh, think it really fits tonally with new hope like which is what they go for right her her hairstyle her vibe um and new hope and just that almost like 
the old Marvel comics. I could, I could see her being in like a 1978 issue of Marvel. <laughs> uh, and I love the Pitroid. So uh, I think much better this time around. Some, uh, some of the beats don't hit for me as much as others, uh, maybe even you included, but I think overall, I think she's great and love that you can go back and draw upon that. And, and again, maybe you might think that's a throwaway line. And then two seasons from now, when we have a pregnant, the child or something, uh, we'll go back to that moment. When, when we realize that it, uh, it does divide or bud or do some other, uh, weird <laughs> form of creation. Uh, like we've talked about, maybe they drop from trees, who knows? Uh, um, I really like the Jawas whispering Silakax, Silakax, because it was exactly like them saying Suka Suka in the yeah. first season, and I like that this is just we're building up. That's what Jawas say when they see something they want. Yeah, <laughs> they just repeat it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I feel like if I was a Jawa, I'd just be like frozen pizza, martini, martini, martini. <laughs> Me, sugar, sugar, sugar. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then I think for me, the rest of them were Cobb Vanth, and it really landed for me because I think his moments that were funny came from the character. Um, the 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 um, when he was watching in particular, the um, Tuscans trying to figure out what to do, and they you know made the little model, and he said, "It's not the scale." Right. It, that was so cocky, and from such a place of fear that it's character based, and it really cracked me up. I love that. Uh, I also love his uh, his look and his gesture when they're about to throw down in the cantina, he and Mando, mm-hmm. and then the rumble comes through, and he's got that, like, can we wait on this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was uh, really great. Um, and I, uh, this might be one of the moments, I'm so curious, this might be one of the moments where it felt to you more like pastiche of Mar- Western Marshall, uh, but I really liked it when he was telling his story, and he said, you know, when he's talking about it, this was when the Death Star uh, blew up. The second one, that is. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, that was funny. No, no. I, it, it, it does read like, like that. The second one, that is. It's kind of fun. No, I didn't. Uh, no, I like that whole sequence. Um, I like that one. I Because yeah, I love the, he says the line, both uh, both sons shine on a womp rat's tail. Like that's, I think we can work that into conversations now the rest of our lives. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. How was your day? Did both sons uh, shine on a womp rat's tail? <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of great moments of uh, comedy uh, for me. A lot of them coming from Cobb Vanth. I can't wait to to uh, possibly see more if their paths cross again. Any directorial moments that jumped out at you? Well, wait, hold on, hold on. You forgot. You forgot all of the child's ear flap and ride moments, you know, <laughs> and him hiding in a spittoon. Like, I mean, that's funny. <laughs> if I, you had that on your list of the hiding in the spittoon. Just you know, because we didn't. Uh, we didn't get, I wouldn't say this is a, a child centric episode, right? I mean, he's present and it's part of the mission and it's all there, but you know, there's not a lot of, he's, he's just there a lot and you get great cutaways. Um, uh, but I love, I mean, that's, we just, we all are Pelly. You are absolutely right. And I just, uh, you know, the, the spittoon moment actually to me is even better than the trailer moment that we see in the beginning of the fighting thing of closing the pram. Oh, daddy's mad. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was great. Yeah, you know, there is there's one moment where it looks like he's just loving riding uh, the speeder bike. And, and I think there is a vibe this whole thing that he's really going places and seeing things like he's getting a real uh, on Earth. We'd say worldly education, but a galactic education uh, with daddy. And there's one one shot where he's whipping on that bike and you can see the whites of his eyes and his teeth a little bit more because the wind's just hitting him. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. 
Great or, child moments. Thank you for going back for <laughs> great gifts, moments of the child. Gifts and memes. Gifts and memes. Uh, so moving on to those uh, directorial moments, was there anything that jumped out at you? I think, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, look, Favreau is Favreau. Uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, so I think it was there. Um, I, I, I think, again, everyone's talking about the aspect ratio changed and woo, yeah, you know, and I, 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 yes, absolutely. And it worked because just Favreau knows that stuff. He's got the, not just the the Iron Man stuff, but he, you know, he, the Jungle Book, Lion King, he's got the big things, got the scope and the scope is important. Even when you're shooting on a soundstage or a VR stage or have a small budget, you got to, provide scope otherwise it doesn't just doesn't feel big and to, to make that switch it wasn't just a second season bigger budget type of thing because i don't think they're necessarily rolling in a ton of extra budget i think they've got more but you know what i mean like so it worked he he really you i never felt lost during that sequence uh and sometimes and i i, I i'm a casual mcu fan so no one take this too deep as an insult I sometimes get lost and almost bored in some of the big MCU third act fights. I, I, it's just me. Um, not that I don't love them, but you know, I mean, sometimes it's like, yeah, 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 yeah we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Someone's going to win. Um, it's not as bad as like the Transformers movies where I almost vomited, but like I get, I get a little, just like I tune out. I didn't tune out of this. I think he really knows his way around that stuff. And it's important. That's important as a director to not lose your story in those big action sequences. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a great point. I think this was absolutely designed to be the big third act action. The if, Even if they don't have a bigger budget, they sure as hell to me made it feel and look like they did. And I think that aspect ratio change was part of it. I haven't seen, uh, you know, people uh, memifying it or, or uh, discussing it a, a bunch because I was uh, I was <laughs> rewatching the episode this morning. Um, but I I really loved it because when, because it didn't feel like a trick. I think, mm-hmm. I think maybe you and I are the same like this of like, I don't like it when I feel like the director is kind of thrusting themselves in the frame. Like I, I don't like, you know, one take shots that don't feel narrative, but more feel like, look what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think something like an aspect ratio change could risk jumping on the, like, look what I did. But this was so emotionally uh, effective to me that, you know, I of course saw it, you know, contract and get smaller and tighter as we saw that beautiful uh, sunset and, and, you know, emotionally perfect that it gets tighter, not only at the end of this Western, but as it sort of tightens in on, on Boba Fett and it makes you feel a little bit more constricted and makes you wonder, you know, what's, what's going on with him. Is that the way he feels? Uh, So it works emotionally on that end. Uh, But I had to go back and go, wait, wait, how did they trick me? When did it expand? And it's, you know, if you haven't looked, it's, a shot that I think is great when they uh, when they're waking the create dragon to try to get it out over the bombs and it comes fast in those three Tuscan Raiders are just right. pounding uh, their feet racing as fast as they can away. And as the create dragon comes out, that's when it expands and you don't even see it. I didn't see it. Maybe other people did. I did not see it, but I felt it and it worked emotionally to make this look even bigger. Uh, you know, and it is the the literal stakes are big for this community. They're going to defeat this or it's going to kill them all. Um, and just so much in the episode has been about scale from pointing it out to uh, of uh, Cobb Vanthuan. That's not to scale to so many shots showing us how big just the mountains are, how big the opening is. And the fact that the aspect ratio just added to that and said, it's this big, everybody. Mm-hmm. Either you see that or it just emotionally works on you. And it, it worked emotionally on me. I think I love I love that you 
tied it to to the emotions. That's what you and I are always here for. The themes, emotions, the moments. The rest is just uh, nice sugar and spice on the meal. But they used well. And also as someone, uh, me, who's not been a critic, but just sometimes like the volume style doesn't always, like I'm like, I definitely don't want episode 10 to be on the volume, right? That's me. I'm one of those jerks. Uh, to 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 just know that yeah you can you can get it bigger and uh, you know just the way you shoot it and as much as I've been involved in productions small and smaller I don't I'm not that side of of it you know I, I went to director school and went like wait eighty percent of directing school is in an editing room I'm out uh, <laughs> I don't do that stuff as much so I don't I I I have to react to it the way you're describing and and that's how I reacted to it so great. great uh, Great uh, use from Favreau and the entire team there. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any other directorial moments that you wanted to shout out or reacted to? Uh, no, over that little work. There's some other little ones, but yeah, yeah. No, that, that okay. Was- uh, yeah, there's, so one other big one that I think this might be what you were talking about before. I'm really curious. Um, I really noticed and I really enjoyed for myself, totally uh, an opinion thing, the amount of time on travel those slow pans, those uh, big kind of, uh, weren't actually helicopter shots probably, but you know, those big shots of you know, almost a minute of Mando traveling, uh, when he first gets to, um, most Pelgo. Um, and then same thing when the Tuscans and the townsfolk are riding out to dragon's lair, we really slow down. That's a thing that, um, Lynch does one of my favorite directors. It's a thing that uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino has done, but in particular, he did a lot in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know that's a controversial film for people, and I understand. But for me, what's effective when it's done that way in film, you know, a hundred other examples of directors who did that, those are just the ones that speak to me, is when you slow down and spend time in the environment, I sink into the world and I feel it the way a character does. And I understand if it's done wrong, you're like, come on, come on. He's getting, he's getting somewhere. I'm here for the story. What's the story? But I want to feel what the character feels. And when those kind of shots are successful, I, I get so much more out of knowing that Mando had a long ride. What's on his mind? How is he infected, affected by the environment before he gets to this small town? And he's talking to these people again. And I love it. Uh, but it sounds like you maybe did not love it. No, that's not that's not necessarily true. No, no, no. I, I reject oh, sorry. it. Sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, but I do know. But you're giving me a chance to clarify. I don't know that. I, I, I think I'm glad it exists as a 55 minute episode because everything you're saying are are things that I love. Like I've, I'm already kind of doing the, I, I, by the way, I'm such a nerd. I don't do this for thumbnails or I just do screenshots of <laughs> pictures on disney plus sometimes <laughs> i'm gonna do the line of banthas um uh, boba fett staring at the twin sons that's kind of i just do, i'm just a dork i do that right um so no i enjoy it exists i think on a, a rewatch it's not like quite like van william and i did a long time ago on star wars ranked the bathroom break moments in star wars <laughs> way of like we love this stuff but you know when they enter maz's castle i know i got five minutes to maybe get a snack and go to the bathroom if i'm watching or i press pause right this on the second rewatch, you and I are also going through notes. I got emails coming in, all the kind of stuff. Yeah. Moments of, yes, I love that this exists. I'm going to click past it now. Later on, I'll appreciate it. So, to clarify, but so it's not that I'm like, this was, it didn't need to be 55 minutes. I was just kind of like, cool, I got it. You used the 55 minutes that you needed. 
on further rewatches, I'm either going to be like, let's get to it, or let me take a moment, sip my sarsaparilla, enjoy what I'm watching, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense, because it actually totally aligns with uh, with how I reacted to it is, I love those moments that let you sink into the world. And I think it's legitimate when you have, hey, this is a viewing experience where I don't have sinking time. I don't want sinking time. I want to skip across this like a rock and move through it, you know? Yep. Yeah, but but as far as uh, taking the time, I mean, the, it. For, and here's the thing too, with the band, the purpose of the, the Tuscan Raiders and the Bantha scenes for me, the marching, for me, my interpretation was a little bit of slowing the villagers down in a way of, I know we've got to do this right. We got to kind of adapt to the way they do it. The Tuscan Raiders. We're not going to run out there with speeders. You can't take a ship. This has to be done this way. You're going to have to adapt to their way and work with it to move forward. I th- I thought that was effective. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And they, like the the slow ride out to the dragon's lair that you're going to face the dragon with these people on both sides that you see as enemies. And like just sitting with that tension of. Are we going to die? Is this going to work? Are we all going to turn on each other before you even see the dragon? And just sitting there with that tension during that beautiful shot is great. Yeah, especially, especially because, you know, when we're back in, in Freetown or most Pelgo, uh, you know, and, and one of the Tusk Raiders drops a bomb and then the, the guy uh, uh, who's a character actor has seen other things too, but he's just kind of like, hey, where did you drop this? And there, every, there's the tension and, and then it's like, cool. Now slow down. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, that that's really great um last thing for me just real quick because uh, i've talked about it on our previews uh and now i got to see a uh, graffiti town i think what really struck me seeing it in the episode is where it really really landed is we've certainly seen uh urban environments in star wars we've certainly seen urban environments uh down on their luck in the depths of coruscant right mm-hmm. they've all had a little bit of this sort of uh neon you know crime uh, I don't know, like a place that was built to be nice that went south. Oh, yeah. This had this very specific centered in what is to me a little bit of 70s, 80s, urban grit, punk rock vibe. And I'm just fascinated that that aesthetic in our real world is as old as Star Wars. So now it feels almost appropriate in Star Wars because it it's harkening back to to the past in this uh, interesting way. Yeah, this, uh, I, yeah, I was waiting for a, a, a large scale power outage and the summer of Sam and Reggie Jackson to hit a home run. New York in 78 here. Like it, it, it totally had the parts of that. Yeah. Part. Yeah. I also just loved it as a, it, it, it worked as a storytelling point of he gets information from a guy, but it is literally, uh, Mando and the child emerging from the darkness, the child vulnerable with, uh, creatures in the dark all around him descending into violence and then emerging with what they need. It's just, it's a little just visual statement on the show too. Yeah, totally. Uh, any moment to you that seemed inspired by action figures? The Boba Fett rocket pack. I mean, come on. I was waiting for, uh, I was waiting for him to shoot it right into the crack dragon's mouth and have the crack dragon choke on it. <laughs> and I mean that out of love. Like, Yes. Uh, not recommended for small children or crack dragons. Yeah, and then one of the shots, whether it was after the aspect ratio change or not, I can't recall, which to me shows that the aspect ratio was done correctly on the shift to to back up what you're saying there. There's a shot to me with everyone out there waiting, right? And I'm like, this is literally, you have all your action figures in the sandbox. You've set them up and you and your friends are ready to play. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it really was that to me of like, oh, wow, my friend has a Boba Fett. I have a Boba Fett. Uh, and between us, we have about uh, six, uh, you know, Tusken Raiders. And I have a random uh, Spock action figure, <laughs> a random Lone Ranger action figure. Uh, and we have this, you know, just a large plastic dragon. It's not the Krayat dragon, but we got it from somewhere. And like it had that spirit to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think. Merman with a ripped ear and a, <laughs> and a Sergeant Slaughter G.I. Joe figure. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Uh, yeah, I thought that was great. Um, anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to? Uh, as always, I think we should just leave this as the section. Uh, it, it just goes without saying, but also it's important to say it. The music, it's great. I mean, just picked up. There's some of the music of the the Marching of the Banthas. I don't know what the, title, the track listing is called, but Marching of the Banthas is what I'm going to call it. Uh, I, I, I think once again, I mean, Ludwig Gordonson just, you can't say enough, uh, but at the same time, you shouldn't stop saying it. Cause I, I really want to appreciate what we have with this. Yeah. Great work. Uh, my only other thing was, uh, when I was watching it, uh, with the captions this morning, I hadn't picked up that, uh, at one moment, uh, Mando appears to swear and he says, dank Farrick, which, you know, for a Deadwood inspired episode, you need some swearing. So it's happened to see dank Farrick. Love that. <laughs> Any predictions or hopes for next week? So I have a hope. My hope is that it has nothing to do with Boba Fett. My prediction <laughs> is he has to find another clue to Amando. Uh, the reason I'm saying almost, almost with a little evil glee, Joseph, of I want, I don't know. I'm uh, sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm just a snot. All right. I'm just a snarky snot. Okay. Mm. I sometimes I want, I want the fandom that is like super excited to get answers and oh, Boba Fett's there, and this means that I want them to slow down, too. I want them to take their own mental bantha ride. And I don't <laughs> want Boba Fett to be answered until chapter four. I don't want it next season. Jokes aside, uh, we made earlier. I don't want it next season. But I want this to, I want this to breathe. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this episode was a really great reminder that these are going to be rip-roaring adventure of the week and the big picture story is going to move slowly. So there's a part of me is like, yeah, maybe the next episode he does head back to Navarro and he gives uh, the armor to the armor and she's like, this is Boba Fett. That's a thing. You go deal with this. Yeah, right, maybe. Right. I don't think so. Uh, I think it's possible that he's like, great, I got some armor, but I don't have any leads. And uh I, I do agree with uh, what uh, some of us uh, have been theorizing that Bo-Katan might be being held in that uh, Imperial facility and it might be where it might be right into the got a lead on a Mandalorian being held by the Imperials. Let's go break this person out. Uh, but my biggest prediction is that much like uh, the first season, I think the next episode might just be an interruption. I think he might be like, great, I got Fett's armor. I got this armor. I got to return it. I need to look somewhere for another clue. And then uh, Mando and the child are attacked in space. Uh, he gets a call from an old uh, contact that desperately needs something. Uh, maybe the child needs new clothes. I don't know what it is, but I sense that it's going to be something that just takes him off of his path. Yeah, I like that. That's a good prediction. I'm going to double down on that. I'm going to be that jerk at the uh, back rat table that slides his chips on on yours. <laughs> nothing jerky about that uh so i think we're just about ready to wrap up here ken uh we've been wrapping up when we were doing these mandalorian report uh episodes before with a weird or a fun question based on this episode so let me ask you if you suddenly owned a very valuable crate dragon pearl how would you spend it 
Ooh, I de- ooh, uh, definitely. Oh man, I'd fill. I de- I'm I'm hungry right now, so I'm thinking. Of, how many? How much chips and salsa orders can I order with that? <laughs> no, I would. Uh, I would say that I would. I would lock that in the storage shed and try to figure out what to do with that later. I'd be afraid. I, I spend a lot of money. I'm, I, I mean, because I don't have it, I'm, I'm bad with that. But yet when I get something like uh, grandma gives me a $50, $50 bill, I, I keep it for a while. <laughs> I'll spend a $20 bill in two seconds, but 50s, $50, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. So I'd, I'd lock that away and, and seek out a good opportunity. I think you are wise to counsel patients. I would also uh, try to let the great dragon pearl uh, appreciate in value. Um, either that, or I would try to send it to Hasbro and say, can I use this uh, to pay for that uh, vintage razor crest you're making? Because I, I don't know if I can get it otherwise. I would like them to release a Black Series scale Krat Dragon Pearl I, I, with blood smear. Like, I think, <laughs> I think you can do that now. Uh, if they make, if they make uh, a special uh, Tuscan uh, cutting up the, uh, the Icker, the meat in the icker, the carcass, uh, and it comes with the pearl. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that is our big look. Uh, we're we're going to try to be, you know, mindful with these episodes. And this one got uh, a little bit uh, longer because I think a great uh, rare moment where you and I see things a, a little bit differently. And it's great to have uh, fun talking about that. And I, I, I mean this, I really mean this. I really love hearing a different perspective and it making me think through uh, mine and thinking through how many uh, different perspectives there can be. And then also uh, I'm losing my mind over how much I like this episode and Boba Mm. Fett. So uh, Mm -hmm. thank you uh, listeners for going with us on this long journey. Any final thoughts, uh, Ken? Uh, Look, other than this episode, about halfway through it, the first viewing at like one in the morning, I just had a smile and I was like, not only is it great to have new Star Wars, but I was like, you know what? They know what they want this show to be. They 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 presented something a little different in season one. They're sticking with it, and you could always be worried about it getting bigger and new characters. Uh, I think that's a valid concern. I see that a lot, but they really know what they want to do with this show, and this kind of confirmed it. Yeah, agreed. Well said, patented for center. Well said, Ken. Do you want to let people know where they can find us? I absolutely do. We're on Twitter at Force Center Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Force Center Podcast. We're on Instagram, YouTube as well. You can find the podcast on a lot of spots, but right now, Amazon Music is one of the new spots. You can find it. Search wherever you get your podcasts and uh, let us know if it's uh, on a spot that you, you listen to, but we're not. We'll try to get on there. Uh, you can uh, get merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center, and you can support us at patreon.com slash Force Center, or you can also support directly through the Anchor app as well if you so choose. But always uh, a good way to support is just spread the word and tell your friends about Force Center. We got our own things going on, like uh, me. I got a funny little sketch radio podcasty thing I do called Saturday Night Knapsack. You can find that on my podcast called The Knapsack Files. And uh, more information on all the things I do is at KenNapsack.com. Oh, also, I did. I had the pleasure of appearing on Dan Merle's show, uh, All My Movies, this week on the SEN Network. I want to highlight that. A lot of fun. Uh, so check that out as well. Excellent. That's great. Uh, talking about uh, A New Hope, right? 
Well, you did. We talked about uh, New Hope, which definitely ties into the vibe of Mandalorian. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, if you're interested in more of my comedy business, you can uh, find my website, josephsgrimshot.com. That's got link to comedy albums, uh, old funny blog posts, and all sorts of different stuff like that. And of course, you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Joseph Scrimshaw. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for the child, for Boba Fett's jetpack, this has been The Mandalorian Report. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.